on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Matt and Nick will continue to get you prepped for Andor thanks to some new planets, aliens, and character insights from SDCC. If Cassian ain't your boy, then worry not. They'll also talk about how Din Djarin will become a reluctant leader in The Mandalorian Season 3, as well as Bo-Katan's possible new goals for her people. The Acolyte series will get some love, too, thanks to the official casting of Amandla Stenberg. Matt will talk about Obi-Wan's former nunchuck lightsabers en route to recapping the latest Star Wars canon from the comics-verse. Of course, the show will end with the question of the week responses and the latest round of Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie. I'm never going to get a smooth transition to this show, my friends. It just doesn't work. So how about a one, two, three. Hey now, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Star Wars Time Show. One where uh, young Nick's feeling a little better from his COVID attack and old now furry face Matt is still struggling with a busted leg. But we are here to entertain you, annoy you. Or to get you to forget about us. We're, we're pretty good at the last two, so hopefully we just stick with bullet point number one, and that is entertaining any and all Star Wars fans with this week's topics, which include Nope, a non-Star Wars property. Uh, but you know how we like to do it to start the show sometimes. We like to share a little bit of our pop culture adventures in between episodes of the Star Wars Time Show. So that's why we're going to start with a little nope action. But then don't worry, we've got some Andor, some Mando, some crazy stuff coming out of the Star Wars comic verse, especially with Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know the word crazy when talking about Kenobi doesn't really make sense, but you'll see what I'm talking about here once I pay off on my T's later on down in the show. Uh, don't don't think Kenobi was just this cool, calm and, cl- calm and collected dude his entire life. Uh, because, like I said, the comics these days are revealing some some interesting things about Mr. Hello there. So we'll get into that. You might know what I'm talking about if you check out our short-form content, which I'd love to remind everyone. Please do on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, right? YouTube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. In fact, that is where you can find us every Tuesday, 2.30p EST on the ABC, if you know what I'm talking about. All right, Nick, so um, getting into a little pop culture stuff, starting with Nope. You know, a lot of buzz around this movie. Jordan Peele has kind of made a name for himself, and it is, it's interesting to look at where his career has gone since he was, you know, doing, what, Key and Peele, a, a comedy sketch show with, with that other guy. I forget his full name. I know Key's in there somewhere, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he uh, after Get Out and then what was it? Us. He's he's kind of earned a reputation with with horror fans, sci-fi, whatever you want to call it, sci-fi horror. Nope's definitely in that genre, but he's earned a rep to you know tell a, a pretty interesting type of horror tale that may have some gotchas in it or some twists and turns, surprises, 
while also kind of having an overarching social commentary bit going on uh, with what he's trying to show you through his characters. So, uh, Nope, I know, is getting like some killer, 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 killer critical reception. Uh, I went and checked it out, and while I will say it's a it's a good movie and one that I, I definitely recommend checking out, I, I'm not sure that it's it's worthy of some of the praise it's gotten, some of the high brows, the best of 2022. Uh, it's this so amazing, redefining sci-fi horror. I, I don't know about that. I, I still think, honestly, to me, the epitome of sci-fi horror, Nick, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, is still probably the... The Alien franchise, in particular Alien and Aliens, Alien 1 and Alien 2, I think those are probably the standouts in sci-fi horror. I know some of, some of the older people there, they'll probably mention The Thing, uh, shit like that. But what, what do you think? When you think sci-fi horror, talking cinema, not gaming, because sci-fi gaming, I still think Dead Space is the best sci-fi horror in gaming, but... In in film, Nick, what what do, we, what do you consider the best sci-fi horror that you've you've checked out? Uh, Event Horizon was probably that's up there yeah, that's a good one. I forgot of, about that one. Yeah, I mean that's that's super high up there in terms of just like the horror aspect and the space aspect. Um, uh, yeah, I mean obviously Alien, like that whole franchise. I mean, to a certain degree, Predator is kind of in yeah. the sci-fi horror kind of realm as well. So I agree. Um, yeah, I think that those are probably the standouts and the ones that really garner the most, I would say, like the most respect from the from the community. Uh, I've never really seen a Jordan. I've never seen any of Jordan Peele's movies, not because like I don't like his stuff, but just because like I don't really watch things on release and like sometimes I just get lost and that's just what happens with his stuff sometimes is we're interested we just don't watch it on the on the day so and that's the bummer with his movies because if you don't go early you're more than likely going to get whatever big twist he had planned kind of spoiled I'm sure you've heard about get out by now at this point in time and and us for that matter but I uh, kind of circling back to Nope. I I I don't consider it to be this crazy, scary sci-fi horror. To me, it's more of a, it's almost like a like a nature movie, <laughs> a yeah. fucked up nature movie, if you will. Uh, my favorite thing in the film, Nick, is this. It, it's kind of a long running gag that they do, and it's the movie opens with this, and it's kind of a movie within a movie where we're watching a. A horrific thing kind of play out on a fictional TV show set within the Nope universe. And uh, you're kind of showed the aftermath early on. And then, the, you know, that kind of reels you in. You're like, why the fuck are we, why are we, why are we learning about this Gordy monkey and what he did on set one time? And, but then Peel slowly folds it back in like an hour in and kind of lets you know, all right, this is why I showed you this early on. And, it has an, an overarching meaning, but it also helps explain some of the character motivations. So I, I, I thought that was the most uh, horrific aspect of Nope uh, in terms of the, the UFO, whatever you want to call it. I, I thought it was well done in how they kind of draw out its full exposure, but then things get a little dicey in terms of, well... Why is it doing this now and it didn't do it before? Why is it okay to do this when it when it 
wouldn't do it before that type of stuff. Yeah. So I dug it. I, I thought, uh, I think this girl's, her name's like Kiki Palmer or something. She plays uh, the other main character's sister. I thought she was pretty fantastic. Dug her, have never really noticed her in anything else. Uh, but to me, she was kind of the standout. Uh, that, that dude that played Glenn in The Walking Dead, I also thought played a pretty good uh, former child star type of character. He, he kind of yeah. nailed that that uh that character archetype if you will but in terms of like jump scares or oh i don't went what's gonna happen i i didn't really feel that throughout so i i I, there's words i'd like to say but i feel like that would spoil it so i'll leave it at that i still think it's worth checking out in in theaters could be a good little date night thing uh it is a it is an overall good flick i don't know what it's sitting out on rotten tomatoes but i I, to me it's in between a 75 and an 80 if you had to put a score on it so to me worth worth getting out there i mean so much so that i crutched my ass to a theater had the had the wife and kid drop me off as close as possible and then i crutched on up used the handicapped elevator and then plopped myself in the handicapped row so it was good enough I, i felt like it was worth the the monotony of having to leave Castle Haywood here with the old broken leg, which still is not easy. We're about ready to head down to Hilton Head this weekend, and I'm just like, why? Why am I going? I mean, all I'm going to do is relocate my ass sitting from my basement to a condo that is going to have less amenities in my basement. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, just went to the doctor Monday, and she looked at my scar, and sure enough, she was like, Nope. So not allowed in water still because still have some scabbage going on on the, on the slit in my leg. The slot, according to Lenny Dykstra. So no getting in pools. Uh, you know what it's like in the South, my friend. I mean, I know Texas isn't as humid as South Carolina on the coast, but it's pretty fucking miserable to be outside, especially if you can't get in water to cool yourself down. So yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess I'm going to support my two ladies so they can see some extended family, and I'm just going to sit in a shitty condo, and hopefully I won't get a blood clot on the 12-hour drive down. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I guess uh, words to live by here, try not to break your leg, especially over the summer. Uh, I can tell you now, it's seven weeks since the break, six weeks since surgery. It has not been an ideal summer. just isn't. Broken legs, no fun. But as many people have told me, and I have recounted to you here on this show, it could always be worse, right? Nick, it could always... <laughs> did, did you have anyone when you were dying with COVID tell you, well, hey, it could be worse, right? It could be worse, Nick. I'm pretty it's sure always- somebody had said that, but like <laughs> at that point, I just wasn't really... Uh, it's it's I love it. And trust me, they are right. Yes, a lot of things could always be worse. But that's not usually the best thing to tell someone that may be down a little bit or going through something that sucks because uh, it's nothing they want to hear. You know what we want to hear is like, yes, you poor baby. We feel for you. It sucks. We're glad that we are not you. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what I want to hear. I, I, wanna, I want people to just be like, oh, you poor little dude. We feel so bad for you, little Matt, losing a whole summer and it's probably going to be six months total of your life. That, that's what I want to hear. I, I like the negative stuff coddle me like a little child if you will i mean in fact right now my right foot is burning but numb at the same time so i don't know what the fuck that's all about 
But 8-11, she said, we can get back to weight, bear- weight bearing and looking at my schedule, it's looking like four to six months of fucking therapy Oof. to learn how to walk again, get my gait back, and then move on to learning how to actually be beyond just basic active. You know what I mean? Like getting into what I used to do, riding bikes, running, lifting weights, deadlifting, squatting. One wheeling, maybe, so I can do this all again in 2023. You never know. But uh, luckily, again, like I told everyone last week, my glass half empty mentality to life has served me well with this accident because the moment it happened and I realized, like, yeah, this is pretty bad. In my head, I already said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose six months of my life. So I, I kind of had myself prepared for all these doctor visits and the bad news. So luckily, my negativity has uh, kind of been a win for me in this situation. You know, sometimes, Nick, it's good to be a Debbie Downer and just as a miserable fuck. Ah, woo! So there you go. Nope, I, I recommend going to, going to see a, a day late and a dollar short review of TV. Severance turned out to be pretty damn excellent. You got to give a little time to build up, but it ends on... One hell of a cliffhanger. I'm excited to see season two. And you know it's become a pop culture darling when it got a tease at SDCC last week. So, Nick, you know, if something makes it to SDCC, that's usually the tip of the hat to, hey, franchise, you've made it. Yeah. You've yeah, made I, it in, in, in the geek verse. You know what I mean? We watched that a while ago. Like, we finished that a few months ago. And, yeah, it was it was awesome. But, yeah, it definitely took... Like after the first episode, I wasn't that into it, but we went through. And then after, I think probably this third one, I was like really hooked. So it yeah. definitely took a couple episodes, but it's top notch stuff. And like I said, that that it is, I feel like we've we've missed those cliffhangers since the streaming has started to where you really are going like, holy shit, I can't believe we have to wait until next season to kind of see where things go. But it's not that empty feeling. Like, I felt like there was enough resolution in the early plot points of Severance that the ending is literally pushing the boulder over the hill to kind of steamroll things in the season two, but they just kind of go, fade the black, we'll see you in a few months. And I don't, it's just, I got to give credit to Ben Stiller, you know, I mean, that's a guy that you would not think kind of ran that show and directed a lot of the episodes. I really think his eye and vision for the work was pretty excellent. Uh, he it's, it's very it's very similar to the Jordan Peele thing where you see these guys that are kind of known being over the top sketch comedy people like slapsticky motherfuckers. Yet you, you, sometimes you, your brain wants to pigeonhole them in that role. And then when you see them do these other creative things, it's like, oh, what the fuck? Look at that. Ben Stiller is more than a one trick pony. So <clears throat> kudos to him. Mm. Yeah. Last yeah, thing. Um, I'm sure you didn't pay too much attention to SDCC. There really was no reason for Star Wars fans to do. Uh, which I, I don't get bent. I know some people are like, oh, yeah, Lucasfilm, nothing. At, well, I mean, they just blew their load, what, six weeks prior at their own SDCC called Star Wars Celebration. So not really sure what people were expecting. Lucasfilm and, and the Disney wing of Star Wars has never really had a presence at SDCC. That's always been more of a comic thing. And that's why Marvel kind of got its time in the sun. 
I don't know if you heard anything coming out of the Marvel wing, Nick, but Feige detailed all the way out to phase six timeline fucking shows and movie shows and movies. This does this and this leads into that. And, and while I'm watching his presentation, I watched like a three and a half minute clip that's on my bootleg. I'm just sitting there going, why don't we have a Kevin Feige? I know he's like tangentially attached to Lucasfilm, but he's clearly not doing what he does for Marvel, for Star Wars. And it, it just, I, I sat there and, and a bit of jealousy washed over me, Nick. I'm like, look at the fucking roadmap these cocksuckers have through 2024. They're, ve- they're very, may well not be in the United States of America by then, but we're going to have a motherfucking MCU phase six. I can promise you that with movies that aren't going to get canceled with TV shows that aren't going to get canceled with directors and cast members that aren't going to leave over creative differences. And while half the properties didn't really intrigue me, I mean, the Thunderbolts, no fucking clue. Uh, the Avengers, the Kang dynasty. Okay. I know the Avengers uh, don't know much about Kang Avengers, secret invasion, secret wars, this a new captain America, And I think the jealousy was more from a, why have they not been able to do this with Star Wars, right? We we talked about this when Disney bought the motherfucking thing, wondering, will they do something similar to the MCU? And many people are like, no, that'll be too much. And then we got what we got. And now I think people are probably like, why can't we be like the MCU? Why can't we have a defined roadmap and phases where projects are planned and not going to get whacked? So, uh, oh yeah, a Daredevil Lives 18 episode arc reboot of that. And both Vincent and uh, Homeboy are coming back as Matthew and Kingpin. It's just like Feige gets up there, whips his dick out. And is like, I'm just going to make all you happy with my magic wand. And uh, I don't know. It's, you know, a little bit of jealousy, I guess, from a hardcore Star Wars fan. I love Marvel, but not nearly on the level of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't, like you said, I didn't follow anything on SDCC. Like, I saw the picture of the Marvel stuff. Um, they've just had more time. Like, they've had more time to, like, build up these interconnected bases and that was their their plan from the get-go and the reality is that like star wars didn't take that tax from the get-go like they went with the old approach of like we're gonna tell a a trilogy of stories and that's how we're gonna do star wars once we get it into the disney realm and it didn't work out and they've just you know they're still trying to figure out the best way to go forward with the movie (laughs) yes I know it's like the the last time they tried to chart out a timeline. I think at this point in time, it's essentially been nuked. Yeah, I mean, I mean but also, we're, we're <laughs> also like it, it's hard to say. Like you know, it's hard to say that the the sequel trilogy like didn't work out when it made over three billion dollars. I think it made over four billion dollars worldwide it, just in theatrical releases. So like, I think the main problem is like trying to figure out what's a good meeting point between like what fans want to see and that is also going to make money and it's just not as easy to make money with star wars as it is with marvel like marvel just makes money easier than star wars does i guess it just feels like marvel's willing to take more risks on low level shit i mean i i'm not a marvel fanboy like i'm not crazy i respect it love the characters but i i'm not as deep into the lore as i am with star wars so 
if you're Marvel and you're looking to make the biggest bang for your buck, they're choosing stuff like Thunderbolts and this and that. And people like me are going, what the fuck is that? But because it's been going for so long since 2008, you kind of know a pedigree that is built in. I'm going to go. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go watch it all. And it feels like, and I get it, Star Wars is a more sacred cow than Marvel. Come at me, bro. It just is. Look look how crazy Star Wars fans get versus Marvel fans. I know people are like, oh, don't worry. There's crazy Marvel fans too. But not to the point where Feige completely changed the direction of the MCU. You got to remember, Lucasfilm, based on box office and perceived fan gripes, completely changed their plans for the future. Yeah. And also one thing that people just for like omit or don't want to talk about with Marvel versus Star Wars is that Marvel had fucking Marvel has so much back content in actual like written form through comic books, through what's currently being built in comics now that are that's completely separated from the MCU. Like there's content that's that's available for the next hundred years of movies for for Marvel, whereas Star Wars is being written actively. Like Star Wars is something that doesn't have a huge history like Marvel does of back characters. You better watch out, man. The legend, the legend bros are gonna come after you and be like, hey, they got well, all the legends, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just have to accept that that's yeah. not that's not open anymore. Or if it is open, then it's gonna come in slowly like it has now. So I mean, like. There's I, I, I'm done I, I trying to like I, like compare Marvel and Star Wars because the other big thing that nobody wants to talk about is people in China and the East love Marvel. They don't like Star Wars. That's gonna stop you from developing stuff at a pace that Marvel does because Marvel knows that if I put out a movie, it's gonna make five hundred million dollars, if not more, in China alone, where Star Wars struggles to make a hundred million dollars in China. So I mean that's that's just you know, I don't know if, if that's something that they're focusing on now is like how to expand their audience beyond just the people in the West, because that's super important to if you want to grow something to a scale that Marvel is. Um, but that's a huge that's a huge issue. You know, that's that's one reason why the largest grossing Star Wars movie of all time, which was TFA, really didn't come close to Endgame you know, in terms of global box office or, or, or was only close to like the big, like end game and stuff like that, because the Western audience had a huge outcome for, for that movie. Um, that's yeah. I mean, like when, when it comes down to it, money talks and money talks in the East and it talks in the West, but star Wars doesn't really uh, like, it doesn't appeal to an Eastern audience as much as Marvel. does. Yeah, I get you. As long as Marvel doesn't, you know, get too progressive, they can keep showing their movies in the East. Outside of that, they're going to start getting stuff cut because people over there, you got to remember, they're commies and they don't quite like some of the stuff that we have now. Although the way we're going, we, we, we could very well have our own Christian Taliban here in the next few years. So I guess we better watch out. Uh, I got to get the fuck out of Ohio. I can tell you that because we're, we're already going draconian with a lot of stuff that is just ridiculous. But. Oh, well, welcome to the U.S. of A. I, I think my point was still, it's like, I mean, Marvel schmarvel. Star Wars, honestly, if humanity doesn't blow itself up, is going to be studied just like we study some of the shit that the Greeks and Romans came up with. The story itself. 
uh, I don't know. I just feel like it's got a higher pedigree and I, I just wish it was managed a little bit better, a little bit more like uh, the MCU has been managed since 2008. That's all I'm getting at. I, I get all the other stuff, the nuts and bolts, the business, but when you have a baby like Star Wars and and just what it means to the world and most of humanity, it, it just has always perplexed me that they can't seem to get a concrete plan around it and stick to it and not kind of bend over depending on how the trade winds are blowing or how the troll winds are blowing or how your CEO's a fucking idiot and runs solo in May to give Mary ass Poppins a December, a wide open December date. But we're not here to solve those problems because they're unsolvable. We're here to talk about all things current Star Wars, which, you know, is few and far between, but we are getting close to 831, which means it's almost Andor time. So that's what we're going to get into first. We got a few new stories, official stuff, that is, for Andor, some of it coming out of SDCC, some of it coming out of um, interviews and whatnot. But uh, I'm, my excitement meter is definitely starting to point up for Andor with each thing I read and with each discussion I have with young Nick on it. It's just, it, it, it has high potential to expose, I think, a lot of interesting stuff to fans that we may not know what we want. I think that's the most exciting thing for me. I think we're going to get some things that we don't know that we actually want or ever needed in Star Wars because we're not going to, just like Rogue One, where we don't have to rely on the big tentpole tropey shit of Star Wars. You know, Force users and, and Jedis and famous this person and famous that person and big name general here, big name Imperial officer over there. We're going to be following a grassroots rebellion movement through the eyes of a um, someone that has become disenfranchised with the galaxy thanks to the Empire's rule and mistreatment of many of its denizens. I think it's going to be a series that we can almost directly kind of correlate to our own lives, albeit without starships and blasters and whatnot. Uh, I, I think like Rogue One, again, you're not going to have the magicians and the wizardry. It's going to be the people, the heroes. Uh, really, it, it's going to be a look at how any big war is won. It's never won by the people at the top, the people doing all the talking. It's won by the motherfucking poor people and the grunts that have to serve in armed conflict to keep the rich people happy. And I, I like that, especially when it's going to be coming through the lens of Star Wars. So I'm, I'm, I really am getting more and more excited for it. Uh, I, I never quite had the, oh, I can't wait feel like I had for Kenobi or the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka. But it's getting very close with, with each new detail we learn. So some things we got from SDCC, and they, they were minimal, but they may give us some things to riff on here, Nick. Uh, we, we did get a new planet mentioned, as well as a um, kind of a potential summary of, of what may be going on on that planet with and or, and or the Rebellion. How do you like that? 
Yeah, I'm I mean, fucking, I'm a new lyricist. planets. New new planets are always great. If it's just covered in sand again, I'm really gonna be fucking pissed. Right. Like, let's so. just be real. Like if it's just <laughs> Tatooine 5.0, and we end up on this fucking planet, and it's just like, oh, the dirt here is red instead of being, you know, uh, brown. Then like, right. I'm gonna be upset. Like I'm just, I just, it, yeah, I, I want to see more, and I know that there's more in Star Wars. See, but it is nice that we have something at least. I know we, I know we make fun of him, but I think he is going to grant your wish because I don't see Tony Gilroy wanting to his series to look or feel like any other series. I think he honestly goes in anything he does thinking he is the best and wanting to stand out. So I, I honestly think he may be anti sand and we may not see one fucking grain of sand in all of Andor. How's that? That that's, that's one prediction. I'm going to go, go ahead and say, take it to the bank. Uh, I'm going to say this could be the first star Wars series where we don't go to a Sandy or sand like planet. I hope okay, so. Anyone want, anyone want to jump on that train? Anybody? I think that some of the set picks that we saw were definitely <laughs> at least dirt. But oh, yeah, come on, I man. Was, but it was like rocky. The, the, the rocks weren't ground down yet in the sand yet. You got to give me that. We'll see. Like, or at least it, just explain to me why 95% of the planets in the galaxy are all sand. <laughs> like, if, if you can at least do that, uh, if you can be like terraforming or something like that, I'm cool with it. But yeah, I hope so big. because Tony Gil- Gilroy seems like he wants to... He wants to put his stamp on Star that's Wars. That's what I mean. And he I wants just, to, I, you know, stand out from the crowd. So maybe that's it. Maybe he can do that. I totally see him going like in, in meetings, like pre-production, like, hey, listen. No fucking sand planets. You hear me? I don't want to hear anybody say the word Tatooine in my presence. If so, you're fired. That's how I, that's how I, I uh, imagine Tony Gilroy acting in his his writer rooms. But anyways, this new planet, Nick, is called, and excuse my pronunciation, I guess we'll have to wait, it's, it's called Aldhani, A-L-D-H-A-N-I, Aldhani. And it was referenced on one of the placards for uh, some of the costumes they had on display at SDCC. And it sounds like it's a planet where he may get mixed up with the proper rebellion, or it could possibly be a planet he's on for one of his first early missions with the rebellion, or maybe even maybe even something he's doing that gets him noticed by the rebellion, because the, the way it sounded to me and Andor at least is that, and we'll talk about this next. But Cassian, he's he's going to be a wounded individual, a a loner, someone that's kind of got a chip on his shoulder because of all the shit that's happened to him in his life at the hands of the Empire. And what it did to his planet and what it's doing to all these other planet and, and probably killing people he loves, so on and so forth. So we can't think of Cassian as the hero we met in, in Rogue One, especially towards the end. Uh, he, he's going to be a bit of a broken rogue type. Uh, you know, he could be doing some shady shit just to stay alive and, and kind of stay above water. He's not, we're, we're not going to meet him and he's, he's not going to be a, a rebellion hero. Uh, I think we're going to see some things that he gets into that get him mixed up with the rebellion and then things kind of go from there, but we're, we're not going to meet the Cassian Andor of Rogue One to start, especially in season one of Andor. So the, on the placard, the placard for one of his costumes, apparently a costume he will be wearing on this mission on Aldhani, 
It says, as part of his entry into the growing rebellion, Cassian Andor must undertake a dangerous mission on Aldhani. So I guess, Nick, if you kind of read it verbatim, are you reading it as this is his first official mission for the rebellion? Is it like he's is it like the Crips and Bloods where he's kind of getting beat into the rebellion by going on some crazy mission? Or do you think he's on a mission of his own that gets the that gets the attention of the rebellion? What, I, what I say think, you based on that that um, explanation there? I think it's something that the rebellion gave him um, as a part of his entry into the rebellion kind of tells me that like he's it's like an initiation kind of. Yeah, like you said, not not. I don't want to say like they're doing this because they're like, oh, well, if he dies, he dies They They just need to know that, like, if you want to join the rebellion and you want to be a high level operative, like we know he was at the end of his life, then like you need to prove to us that you can do these types of things, that you can undertake these types of missions that may be dangerous and you can get out alive. So, uh, do yeah, you, I think it's that. do you find that kind of funny though, that the rebellion is essentially doing a gang initiation like the Bloods and Crips used to, albeit without literally jumping him in. But also like it's, it's probably important due to the fact that like they've probably had Imperial spies that yeah. have tried to infiltrate their own ranks. And like, this is a way that you can meet out like, Hey, are you just an Imperial spy that like you know, is just trying to gain information or are you somebody who actually wants to put your life on the line to, to make change? That's interesting. So, so, so if, if we kind of run with that idea, is it, do you think it's just a dummy mission then just to fully test them? Or do you think they do have some sort of end game in mind for the mission? Cause you would think if it's just purely a test mission, you probably wouldn't want to send new recruits into something that if they do turn out to be a spy could expose the rebellion and its plans, but you still want to test a new recruit. So maybe there's some value to the mission. You know what I mean? Does that make sense at all? Like, like, is it just a throwaway to test his, his allegiance? Or do you think this mission on Aldhani does have some sort of overall benefit to rebellion outside of getting a new recruit? I think that there's value to it. I don't think that they would send him on it if there was no value, but I also don't think that this is going to be a solo mission for him. I think that like, if anything, he may think he's on a solo mission, but there's probably going to be somebody else there watching him from a distance to see how things go. Because ultimately, uh, if this is a dangerous mission and this is something of relative importance i don't think that you want to entrust it to just that, one yeah, person that, that's what i was getting to like I, I just don't see the rebellion especially at this point in time where they're walking on eggshells they're still in cells i don't see them sending a brand new recruit on something extremely important to the cause uh period i i think you're right i, I mean it'll probably be with a babysitter or at least two of them I, i'm wondering if Skarsgård character could kind of be Cassian's in to the rebellion. Uh, I forget. I, I know he has a name. I, I forget what they're calling the Skarsgård and, and Andor, but you know, maybe he's his first kind of rebel contact and maybe Skarsgård's character is the one that kind of goes to the, whatever rebel cell. He's a part of like, listen, I got this kid. He's motivated. He, he has a similar backstory to a lot of us where his, his family and planet were decimated by the empire I think he's primed to kind of put into our assassins, our beginner assassins program. Yeah, maybe. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I just I I really wonder how he ultimately gets mixed up. I I just have a feeling it's going to just it's going to be kismet, meaning he's going to be doing something for him that kind of gets him noticed by the rebellion, and then I think things go from there. I don't think the rebellion is going to approach Cassian. I think it will more or less be he will have done something that kind of stands out within that underground network of people going against the empire and they'll find out that way. And then that's how they bring him in and maybe send them on this, this kind of initiation mission to Aldhani. Yeah. Which is not going to have sand on it. God damn it. I promise you. Um, I think, yeah, I will. I'll talk about the bot here in a second. Uh, we also got to see one of Mon Mothma's costumes, one of her sexy gowns. I'm not gonna lie, like I, I definitely have a thing for redheads. It's kind of like my thing for Twi'leks and Tigrutas. It's just, it's just one of those things. You know what I mean? I also have a thing for black strippers. All right, I, 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 I love black strippers much more than white strippers. So we all have our things. But for some reason, Nick Mon Mothma. Is, is turning me on. I mean, even even her dress on this mannequin is kind of getting my juices flowing a little bit. Now, this could be a result of the fact that when you have a broken leg, it's also hard to kind of take care of yourself like you used to. So I've had a little pent-up man juice going on these past six weeks. So mannequins are kind of looking slightly erotic to me, <laughs> but... <laughs> I am picturing uh, what's her name's face on it, by the way. I think she is a a lovely looking woman. But uh, all we got here on her placard was the Imperial Senator from Chandrilla. I I forgot she's from Chandrilla. Mon Mothma carefully navigates the dangerous shadows of Coruscant politics and her efforts to build a rebellion. So they don't give us there much, Nick, right? But the idea of watching Mon Mothma get into some shady shit in the Coruscant political scene, that excites me. I know politics in real life are a shit show, and they always are. They're really bad now. But for some reason, I am extremely interested in learning more about the politics of this era because you got to remember, my friends, they're just like pretending to be a democracy. The Senate is a sham, but it still exists. So what are what what are the politics like right now? I mean, you heard a little bit in in the Kenobi series when we talked the bail, but you know, hey, my dad's a senator. We're we're good with the empire. It was still that kind of stuff. I want to see what Mon Mothma, the future leader of the rebellion, is uh, getting into in these as she navigates these dangerous shadows of Coruscant politics. So, do you think we see Mothma doing some like? Jennifer Garner alias style like spy stuff on Coruscant no. at some point? No. <laughs> no. Especially not in this fucking dress. The most obvious thing ever. Um no. I mean they're talking about the dangerous shadows of Coruscant politics in terms of the what you were just saying, knowing that it's bullshit. Like and of course she can't openly talk about the rebellion that she's building in the in the Senate building where all of her colleagues are. But no, I don't think that she's going to be You don't a spy. see her in that dress and in her handbag having some sort of data spike coming in and trying to plug it into a terminal to get some information. Not no, even that. Because, like, because not if even you like are the leader spying. of the rebellion, 
why would you put yourself out into a situation where all it takes is one rogue person to see you and get I, you caught? I don't know. Like, I don't know, man. You know, everyone's got to do their thing when it comes to a rebellion, a galactic wide rebellion. You never know. And I, and I think technically she's not the true leader of the rebellion, at least in season one, because they still have to be in cells. I mean, we, we really did not see the rebellion form until the last season or two of star Wars rebels, which was starting to butt up against the events of a new hope. So is she the true face of the rebellion at large at this point in time, or is she just one of the bigger players in one of the bigger cells? I guess that's something we may find out, but technically we should not be seeing a fully formed rebel alliance. Uh, definitely not in season one of Andor and probably not within the first few episodes of season two Andor. Because if you remember from a few shows back, season two is going to cover four years. Every three episode is a four year block. I'm sorry. A year. Season. No, I was right. Season two covers four years. Season one covers a year. And then we lead right into Rogue One. So in season two, every three episodes, we're going to cover a year's worth of time. So by the end of that, yes, we should start to see the the Rebel Alliance, the the fully formed. I just wonder in season one, is Mothma portrayed as the overall leader or is she just one of the big players on one of the bigger cells? What do you think? I think that over the course of the of the first season, she like I think we talked about this last week too. Like over the course of the season, like you'll see why she becomes the leader. Like okay. you'll see how and why. So you're yeah. thinking by the end of season one, we shift closer towards a fuller rebel alliance or her just becoming the, the figurehead. I mean, either one, I don't know if the distinction is important as much as it is the fact that like, it's about her character growth. Like it's right. about her character growth into being the person that she was when we saw her, even like when we saw her in rogue one, so I think, yeah, she she's yeah. still in Rogue One. She's just a figurehead, more or less talking and poo-pooing the hopes of her forces and those that want to be a little more radical in their approach. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I said last week, I th- I honestly am most excited to see the Mon Mothma character growth. I really am. Uh, Cassian, love Diego. I, I dig the character, but we know where the character goes. It's It's done. Like, we know where he's headed. Uh, I, I guess we technically know where Mothma's headed to, but we've had such little exposure to her that I'm just more interested in, in kind of seeing what, what did she get into? You know, is she going to do a little espionage even in her position? Who knows? That's the stuff I, I'm, I'm very interested to see as she navigates the dangerous shadows of Coruscant politics. And then last but not least, we got a few more details on, I'll be real here, man. I do not like this droid's name, this B2 emo, like they're just getting over the top, like, oh, it's emo in its name. It's like, come on, you know, stick to the good ones, like the C3POs, the BB-8s, the R2-D2s, the R5s, the R4s. The four loms, for Christ's sakes. I don't know, B2, B2 Emo? It doesn't even roll off. B2 Emo. But I guess he's called either, what, B or B2? B2 I don't know B2. if they called him B2 because eventually Cassian's going to have a K2 and 
Uh, as we learn here, B2, or more simply B, is a very old and weary ground mech salvage assist unit that has been towing scrap for the Andor family for years. The droid has a wide array of mechanical tools and various capabilities to meet the functions required. So, I guess the interesting thing here we learn about B2 is that he's essentially a family heirloom. Yeah. That... Um, Apparently, it's looking like it may be Cassian's sidekick early on. It may be the only other living member of the Andor family at this point in time. Uh, I know there's been some thoughts that he may have a sister kind of floating around there, but the fact that they kind of went to these lengths to explain that this droid is the Andor family droid leads me to believe that... may get some backstory delivered through the droid uh, or at least see the droid and possible flashbacks of the Andors kind of getting decimated in their planet and their home getting destroyed and having to relocate. And maybe B2 is the reason Cassian makes it out and the other family members don't. Uh, I, but I, I, I think a part of the naming of B2 and its attachment to Cassian, I think is a, a parallel and a lead into his eventual relationship with another two droid k2 so do you see b2 kind of being like his r2d2 for a while like like r2 was with anakin and luke or do you see b2 potentially going out early on in a in his lacked at his last act of service to the andor family uh i mean the droid looks pretty beat up so it's definitely something that's been around that family for a while I don't know if he fits the bill of like a droid that kind of rolls around with. Yeah, he uh, looks Cassian, clunky as fuck. You know? he, he definitely looks like, yeah, like a like a clunker that was just kind of around the Andor household, for lack of a better term. Um, so like that leads me to believe that he's probably like this is probably not going to be following him around, especially if it's like, you know, he's on stealth missions or he's doing something that requires, um, you know, some more high level tactics. Uh, I also don't know, like, I don't know if this droid is like a, like an R2 unit, like an astromech unit where you could plug it into like a ship's navigational system and it can like do all of that stuff. Uh, I think that this may just be like the, like a character building moment. Like you said, you know, that's why he has the attachment to K2 that he did is because he also had this other droid when he was growing up. That was, you know, a part of his life from a, from a young age. And, um, so he learned to have these relationships with droids through that. Um, but yeah, it would like, uh, it would be kind of odd if you saw that thing kind of puttering along with him on Aldani and say, you know, like, Oh, this is, he's helping me out. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I agree. I, I agree. Like he, to me, he does seem more like a f- pure utility maintenance type of droid, almost like a gonk where, they kind of hang out in, in encampments and maybe stay on the, on the starship, but they don't necessarily go on the missions like like a BB-8 or an R2 or <laughs> a lot of times, even though he didn't want to, a, a 3PO. So I'm, I'm with you. I think he's... I don't know if he's going to be like a full-on Ned to where he has no voice, he doesn't even beep, and he purely is just like a service droid. Uh, you would think with the history and the fact that they mentioned like, oh, it's been with the Andor for years. It, it probably is more like a like a pet, if you will. I know that's hard to say about a droid, but uh, I just I don't know. I I usually love new Star Wars droids and 
I don't want to, I'll reserve final judgment until I actually see him and see what, what, what B2 or B gets into. But just on paper, I don't like Destroyed. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the, the way it looks. I, I don't know. Nothing really kind of stands out and makes me go, I want to get to know this thing. You know, you, you can remember the first time you saw that fucking ball droid, BB-8, you're like, all right. I, I, I kind of want to, I, I want to learn more about this little fucker. I remember coming out of TFA, I went BB-8 crazy. I mean, I bought B, huge BB-8 plushies, little BB-8 plushies, uh, the, the BB-8 remote control. I mean, I was all over BB-8. And then like a lot of things, sequel trilogy, he, he kind of became slapsticky and uh, really lost some screen time moving forward. But I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not feeling that with, with B yet. So hopefully that changes. I'm not saying it can't change, but right now, not really feeling the B2 emo, especially the full name. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not my favorite new droid either. But also, I don't think that it's going to be around long. Like, I don't think that he'll be like you a You think he's getting blown, blown the fuck up or he's going to like go down with the ship to save the last Andor or something I like think, that? Yeah, I think you may be on to something there. Yeah, I, I think so. There's no way it, that it, he's going to be a, a like a constant companion. Yeah, it's just the fact that they mentioned that it's been with the Andor family for years. That kind of leads me to believe maybe he's only flashback material. Who knows? Uh, it is odd that he was on the same stage as, as Cassian's costume at SDCC. I don't know if they're trying to imply like yeah, that they'll be on that mission to Aldhani, but if anything, I think he he would serve as a as a flashback kind of point, like. Here he was. This is why he's special to the Andors, and this is why he's still with Cassian now, but may not and probably will not make it far into the future. Okay, so sticking with Andor, we got a few things relayed to us this morning via Total Film. Uh, I kind of want to zero in on the image first, because Nick, at least according to my eyes, if you're looking now, again, we're on the live stream. We're checking out a new image from Andor that features what I am considering to be a new type of Star Wars alien. So, Nick, what say you? And let me, I'll just do a quick description here for people on the radio. Uh, she looks blue to me. I don't know if that could be from the light, but she's definitely has a lighter skin tone. Her head is almost snake like. Like the back of her head is elongated, but not like a cone head. It's not going straight up and down. It's almost like a cone head, kind of a, a little more parallel to her head. And the 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 protruding part of her head, like I said, is is very similar to what you'd see on a snake, very snake scale like. I don't want to say she looks like a Navi from Avatar, <laughs> but there are there are kind of hints of that. Uh, the eyes aren't as big, but. To me, like the 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 type of of skin tone is similar, and uh, some of the markings on the skin. So, uh, how about you? Is this is this a new looking Star Wars alien to you? Definitely looks new. Like we've never really seen hybrid species before. Like we've never seen a like somebody who's like a half human, half whatever else, or something like that. Um, the skin, the way the skin looks, almost makes me like think of a Trandoshan a little bit because they have that like scaly type of skin. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the the, yeah. the at least the parts of her skin that do scale out. But like you said, there are other parts where she's very human, not even human. humanoid, just very human. Yeah, like to me, Nick, she's more alien looking than say a Twi'lek who 
essentially yeah. look like humans outside of different, you know, some are green, some are orange, and then they had these big fucking things come out of their head. Uh, but yeah, I'll I'll give you that. It, she yeah. she does kind of have that Trandoshan scale look, at least on the on the back half of her head. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if they had like hybrid species within the galaxy, though, because I think that's something that they've never really approached before. And I know that a lot of like other fantasy properties had like have, have talked about that. Like you have half elves, like you can have stuff, you know, half orcs and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's speaking what speaking of that. Did you even uh, did you check out the um, the LOTR deal yeah. from? I, to SDCC? be honest with you, I'm more excited about Lord of the Rings this series coming up than any of the Star Wars stuff coming out this year. <laughs> like oh, we we change it to the uh, the Tolkien <laughs> the time the show. I think it's just because it's been so long since we've had Tolkien, and I know like what this era is going to be about. Like I know like a decent amount about the Second Age, so I was like, right. I, I was hyped about it from when I first heard about it. So I do too. I I was sitting yeah. here thinking when I when I watched him, like man, I used to be a Tolkien scholar, and it's probably the it's probably the reason why I graduated Ohio State with a two eight three because I w- would more <laughs> or less just read his books in class, and I'm talking. Unfinished Tales 1 and 2, Silmarillion, The Appendices. I mean, Tolkien's got like 500 books, but they're not finished <laughs> stories. They're just like, they're, they're beginnings of some stories that got finished. They're middles of some stories that never got started. I mean, it's it's weird shit. And his son tried to piece a lot of them together in the Silmarillion. But what, what we're talking about, the Amazon Prime Tolkien series, I know they're calling it the Lord of the Rings, but yeah. it's predates it's, the lore of the yeah, rings pre, we're, we're gonna see how the rings of power were forged and how sauron tricked all the main denizens of middle earth to put them on the humans which would have been the numenorians like the the almost superpower humans the uh, numenorians are like Arag- aragorn was a yeah, he was the, the last he was the last of their kind i mean he, they were the humans that were touched by the light and they could live for hundreds of years then now they weren't immortal like elves but they were more special than just the regular humans you meet in the third age of, of Middle Earth. Yeah. But I, yeah, I was trying to remember, like, I, I know a lot of the, I know the Silmarillion, I think some of it's first age, second age, all that. I mean, it it's like pre, pre yeah. first age, then it's first age, then it's, it's wild. And, and I'm starting to get yeah. all that, that weird FOMO I get with pop culture stuff that doesn't matter i'm like damn it i should know this stuff i should know gilgalad and and what he was doing and this and that and who the who the fucking dwarf leaders were at this time yeah and uh, nick they're talking about oh the war was over i'm like what war were they fighting again was it the elven war like where the it was it the was light the, elves fought the wood elves and or no, was it no, the no. first war no the morgoth right yes the, the war, war with okay. melkor morgoth who are the same character but it was the first war of, of the like dark, the, like of fighting the, the dark. Okay. Yeah, fighting the darkness. And that was after, so like this is after like Melkor slash Morgoth had been banished away off of Middle Earth, uh, like out into the outer realms. This is right. when like Sauron was actually fighting in that war too. Because um, he was, Sauron is essentially a like Gandalf a type, of, he's a Gandalf type of character, but for the dark, for the bad yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, the, like the Maya... And, you know, the Istar and stuff like that are the all demigods. these like, yeah, like demigod beings. And that's kind of what Melkor was, too. But then he fell to the darkness. Sauron fell with him. Sauron was one of Melkor's chief lieutenants during the war that he waged against the 
against Middle Earth in the beginning. And then when that war ended, Melkor was banished from Middle Earth by right. uh, okay. the, the power of the other Maiar and stuff like that. And, but this is when, like, essentially Sauron's reemergence into, into Middle Earth. I just Earth. need, there's a fantastic, it's a, an illustrated encyclopedia, a Tolkien encyclopedia. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need, yeah, I need to I'm, I'm find where that's out and break that if you out. Wanna, and, and if if you want to find something, and for those of you listening to who may be like Lord of the Rings fans, there's a YouTube channel called Nerd of the Rings. Literally, it's just the word Nerd of the Rings. And this guy will literally like every week, multiple times a week, he'll put out like 10, 15 minute videos on just like everything you could ever want to know about Middle Earth. So like you can go and you can look up like there are videos on Sauron in the Second Age. There are videos on who Gilgalad is, on who all of these key players are based on the the collected works of Tolkien that that are available. Like he has incredible amounts of 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 uh you know content out there on on Lord of the Rings and especially wasn't, now. Wasn't Gilgalad like one of the elven kings that kind of yes. let one of their kingdoms fall because he was an idiot or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember everything about it, but that is kind of the story of of this age is how Sauron took the form of an elf like we see right. in the trailer and how he essentially corrupts the elves that lived and like they were living on a landmass that doesn't even exist in the third age anymore because it was sundered and sunk. And that was how, you know, the Numenorians were killed and everything like that. Like that's kind yeah, of their, the their story whole island. Yeah. The, like the, the, the island in Numenor essentially gets swallowed up by the sea yeah, because exactly. of Sauron and the fights and all right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not that far off. I just, just a little rusty, but I'm with you too. As long as it's, it's done right. Uh, they, they, yeah. they could get a little flashy. I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people don't like what he did with the hobbits, but I still think Peter Jackson is is owed a lot of credit for what he did for the Lord of the Rings, at least Definitely. exposing it to a new mass of people through a different medium. And I know they're they're kind of sticking to his visual aesthetic on the Amazon series, which I think is is smart. Yeah. But I still wish he was somehow involved because I, I still think the Lord of the Rings trilogy I'm never going to put it above Star Wars. I just can't. That's sacrilegious to me, but it's it's right up there, if not in line, in terms of just pure quality. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk quality from a uh, just production from soup to nuts, Lord of the Rings probably is better, but it's never going to supplant Star Wars in my my fanboyism. But it, it's pretty yeah. fucking close. It took me 20 years to really figure that out but um it was peter jackson it kind of was like hey i watched the you know uh fellowship and right after that bought all the fucking books read them all then i was like fuck it i need to know about all the past shit they were talking about and half the poems and songs they were singing i gotta yeah. i gotta know about that character that, that this asshole was singing about after he just smoked some pipe weed and had <laughs> some beer so yeah. all right well there's a little tangent for you hey look at that mythos boba catching a live stream one of our one of our super fans and like i said last week he was kind enough to send me some of his fine goods so thank you yes greg anyone down there that they'll love peter jackson i mean i I know they're not new zealanders but yeah he's down in that part of the world he's he's a hero down there yeah so back on to the andor thing yeah i mean it i it's definitely a new alien species or at least one that is so wildly different from what we've seen in the past that it's unrecognizable. 
And to me, it kind of looks like a hybrid species between a human and something else. Um, it would be cool if that if that did come in. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, do you think do you think she could be an all all Dehanian? Like, could this be Aldhani? And and are we? If you're on the live stream, we're looking at a new still from Andor, and Andor seems to be at some sort of bar talking to this blue alien lady we're discussing, who we've essentially said is a cross between Bosk, yeah. a Navi from Avatar, <laughs> and yeah. and just a generally pleasing looking female humanoid slash alien hybrid. Yeah. But you know, that this this could be kind of a follow-up to what we were just talking about. This could be that opening mission on Aldhani, one of his first missions for the rebellion or a test mission. And maybe this is a contact he was sent to talk to. Maybe this is the target he's being asked to do something with. If you look in the image, Nick, she's got her hand on something at first. I was gonna be like, is that a is that a bounty puck? But it, it's definitely too big to be a bounty yeah. puck. So Yeah, it's uh, it, but you I, know. I, I definitely think that it's a contact. I think that it's somebody. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, knowing that Aldani is out there and that we're unfamiliar with it, it kind of makes me lean that way. But also, yeah. we don't know if there's other planets that are out there that we've never heard of before. So it could be one of those. But right now, I'll lean towards Aldani. Um, yeah, I mean, and you can just see the way that they're looking at each other in the picture that this is, you know, a... This is a meeting that is on the up and up that that is not just a simple, hey, I'm here for uh, a a shot of, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's not looking for some spotchka. Yeah. He's looking for. Do you think at this point is is he already becoming an assassin for the rebellion or do you think we'll see him grow into that? I think that's more or less what he was by the time we meet him in Rogue One. He's a cold blooded killer. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, you could look at it and say that assassins are probably the easiest people to bring into a rebellion because they're a dime a dozen. And if you die, you die and we just get another one. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Cassian may have shown a little bit more gumption and intelligence right up front to where they don't just throw him in the line of fire and and treat him as, as fodder and that they actually do want to give him an opportunity to kind of build his skills and to yeah, he, I think you have a point. He is, he is more of like your, your black ops type rebel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like a Navy seal rebel. If those existed, yeah. I don't, like, like I don't Sam, know if that's what the, what, what did Cara Dune become a shock trooper? I, I, yeah, I she wouldn't was a say shock trooper. Yeah. So he probably is more like whatever the CIA's black, black unit is or, or yeah. black ops, dark ops unit. He's more like that versus a, a Navy SEAL, I'd say, where the shock troopers were more like your SEALs. Cassian, to me, is, you know, someone that the that the rebel CIA has embedded somewhere, maybe undercover or getting sent in to do, like, some of the really, really risky shit. You know, we, we don't want a lot... We don't want a lot of ruckus. We don't want a lot of noise. So let's not send the shock trooper. Let's send you know, Cassian's division or whatnot. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see how he kind of develops into their assassin. Cause that's really what he was. I mean, let's think about it. We, the first time we meet him, he, he blasts a guy after the guy gives him some information because the empire was coming. And then ultimately the reason he is taking Jin around to look for a dad is so he can fucking shoot him. I mean, yeah. it's not, he's not like trying to help get information. 
and he ultimately wasn't trying to help Jin. I mean, he eventually fell in love with her and got it and then got all sappy. But up until then, he he was kind of a their their go to kill machine. Like, hey, if if X, Y, Z doesn't get the job done, Cassian will get it done. Yeah. So, almost like a fixer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he's definitely like he'll he'll grow into that but even at this level like even early in the rebellion i think that they've assigned a higher value to him than just like hey, well, it's, it, it's funny you say that because the the article goes into and this is, this is an interview with diego and he was talking about how if you remember in rogue one where andor talks to jin essentially saying hey i've been fighting since i was six years old and diego was explaining he's like listen that that's a wounded person that, that has those type of stories to tell someone into their adulthood. Like if you've been fighting your whole life since you were six, that's all you remembered. You're probably pretty fucked up and broken or have been pretty wounded and broken in your life. So he goes on to say that talks about a wounded man. We find him in a place where he's not aware of how capable he is of transforming or being part of change or executing such a sacrifice. But he is the man that comes out from fighting since he was six years old. He's a very interesting, dark, wounded person. You're not going to believe that he's capable of what he does in Rogue One. So what what Diego is telling us is that when we first meet Cassian, yeah, he may have some service, serviceable skills, but he is not Cassian Andor of Rogue One, the, the guy that the Rebellion essentially hinged all its marbles on to you know, work with this Jyn Erso to try to get these plans, to try to figure out a, a, a kind of a Hail Mary against the Empire. So we may not see a very capable Andor, at least in terms of having his head screwed on straight. He might have the street skills, what you'd expect someone that's been kind of living on the street and being an immigrant since they're six, but he may not have the confidence or even the desire to be a hero yet, which, which could get interesting. I mean, that early on, he could very well butt heads with the rebel Alliance. Oh yeah. Oh, not, yeah. not similar to Han Solo, but from a different place. Like Han Solo was clearly, he was just a selfish asshole who yeah. wanted to pay his debt and get job off his back. That's why he's like, fuck you. There's no money in the rebel. I, I don't think that's going to be Cassian's take, but he very well, maybe like, fuck you. What, what do you guys think you can do to the empire? Look what they've done to me my whole life. They took yeah. my home, my family, my fucking planet. And you ragtag assholes think you're going to change something. Fuck you. I'm out of here. Like, I, I, I think, think that may be yeah, where we find he, them. He may be, more he may be more like uh saw Guerrera. you know he like he may be way more militant and way more okay you know that's kind of throw yeah, caution that, to another, the wind that's another take yeah so you know i don't know if he'll be in a in a place of like complete despair where he's like well what's the point of trying i feel like, <laughs> like he's he all may, cracked out in an yeah. alleyway like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i feel like he may be to a point to where he's like it doesn't matter who else dies as long as they die. Kind of like, you know, kind of like how Saw was. Um, um, so no, it's, more, it's more um, DJ from The Last Jedi. Yeah, kind of yeah, like that. That type of person. Like, listen, everyone, there's good, there, there's bad guys on the good side. There's, there's good guys on the bad side. It doesn't matter. Everything's fucked. 
just save yourself. And that, that was yeah. DJ's message in TLJ. <laughs> and I, I think that's a good call. He very well may be like that. Like, listen, you know, I'll, I'll take a buck, but I don't give a fuck about your, your cause. But you, you would think that the guy that directly watched the empire fuck him over, he probably definitely has a little bit of a hard on for the empire in terms of he, he doesn't have any lost love or anything for them. But he, he, on the other, on the other hand, he, also probably doesn't have much motivation to get mixed up in a, in a rebellion either. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see like where he starts and where he ends season one. Cause obviously when we get to this end of season one, it's not even his, com- you know, his complete growth path. That's just kind of phase one. Exactly. Of, of casting, right. So that's just going to yeah. be year one. So, I mean, we, we the first few episodes or even the half, half of the first season could could be learning about him on his own and then seeing how he does ultimately get mixed up with the rebel alliance. Is it through some form of hijinks? Is he doing something for himself or some gang that he's trying to make a buck on that gets him noticed? Does he, does he get recruited? It it, it sounds like he's going to be a pretty depressed and uncapable person when we first meet him. So would the rebellion be recruiting someone like that? I don't know. And that, that's a lot of the interesting stuff now that we have to think about with, with Andor. There, there's a lot of unknown. I mean, we know where he goes. We know where the galaxy is going to be at by the time we get to Rogue One and, and our beloved OT, but we don't know the minutia. And that's what yeah. this series, in addition to what Kenobi did, in addition to what Bad Batch Season 2 is going to keep uh, heaping on, we are slowly but surely getting a deep dive into those you know, damn near 20 years from the fall of the uh, the Galactic Republic to the fall of the Galactic Empire. And for someone that grew up with the OT era, that's, that's my fucking, that's my shit. You know, that, yeah. that's the stuff. That's what I, that's why I was excited about the prequels early on. Cause we're going to fill in some gaps and some character stuff to, for the OT. And while that didn't work out until many years later, thanks to the Clone Wars, it, it did. And, and now we have a much more complete picture of the Star Wars universe during the prequel era, after the prequel era, and then obviously our beloved OT and into the Mandoverse and beyond to the sequels. So things yeah. are, they are getting fleshed out. They are getting band-aided, if you will, and that's okay. I'll take it as long as those band-aids come in. So don't forget, everyone, Andor, August 31, just like we broke live last week on this show, it is going to have a two-episode premiere on the 31st. So that'll be a fun day of Star Wars coverage for myself. Uh, but I'm, I'm expecting some pretty big things in those first two episodes, really laying the groundwork for what this first year of the Andor series is going to be about. Yeah. So we're sticking with the Disney Plus wing of Star Wars because, honestly, is there really another wing at this point in time? Not really. I mean, you got the books, which they seem to be doing well. It seems like that High Republic experiment has kind of taken off bigger and better than some people expected. Uh, I know those fans that consume the novels are are all over the shit and the new phases of the High Republic. I just couldn't couldn't get into it. Give me a movie. Give me a game. Give me a comic book. Well, hell, I can't even do that. I, I stopped doing the comic book, so I'm full of shit. But uh, yeah, Star Wars these days, is it's all about the TV shows, and that that's fine for now. So we, we got a little bit of an update on The Mandalorian Season 3. And if you listen to the show, I, I wouldn't say this is much of an update. It's just kind of more of a, a payoff and confirmation of our 
excellence in Star Wars speculating. You know what I mean? That's just what we do. That's what we are not known for, but we are <laughs> some of the best speculators on the internet. Just ask one of our 20 loyal fans. They will tell you, and some may even recount to you the moments where our speculations were paid off. Best still is probably my, my book of Boba Fett prediction. That, that will go down in history as one of the most amazing accomplishments on the Star Wars Time Show. I, mean, I can't tell you if you're a new listener how many trophies we were sent and how many medals I have hanging in my trophy room due to that speculative win. But anyways, our buddy Pedro, who at this point is looking like he's got the best job in all of Star Wars because he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> he literally... He shows up like after the main production runs and, you know, shoots a few pickup scenes in the costume. And he's like, all right, let me cash that check and I'll go in the ADR room and lay down all the all the vocals for this season. But he was interviewed by Total Film as well. Total Film, their Lord of the Rings issue has some Star Wars in it, by the way. That's where a lot of these interviews are coming from. So if you still read books and shit or papers and magazines and shit. This might be a good total film to pick up if you're like Nick and I, and you're a fan of both Tolkien and the Maker's um, creation. Uh, but really, what, what Pascal was saying here, Nick, was something that, like I said, shouldn't be a surprise to our listeners, or, or really anyone that has uh, a brain while they watch Star Wars. You know, I, I like to play it up that I'm some... Star Wars speculative savant, but I, I really just watch things and the dots are fairly easy to connect, but hey, I'll take the titles if you want to lay them on me. <laughs> but what Din was saying, he was, you know, we, we've seen some of the leaked footage and it does look like Din is leading or he's working with other bands of Mandalorians. And he was kind of asked in this interview, like, hey, is, is Mando going to be a leader in season three? Will he be leading Mandalorians? And here, here's what Pedro had to say. But like I said, if you've been paying attention, yeah, he probably is. And, and he's probably not going to want to, but his destiny is pointing that way. I'm telling you right now, especially in the book of Boba Fett, those, those tangent episodes that were just Mando. Dave and John don't spend that much time talking about all these Mandalorian legends unless they're going to be paid off on. The armor doesn't specifically tell the story of the Mythosaur and, and the great Mandalore uh, riding on top of it, raising out of the ground and, and bringing whatever to the people of Mandalore just for fun. That, you know, that's not, oh, here's just a fun little history lesson for you nerdy Star Wars fans. It, it, it's too tease us to tip us off to what's to come we also knew from that episode that he's going to go to mandalore the guy is a freak unfortunately because of what the armor and death watch had done to him they brainwashed him he's in a cult and he feels like he let his cult down and he wants to atone for his sins so we know he's going to Mandalore to look for those living waters, regardless of other Mandalorians want him there or want him to lead when they learn that he won the Darksaber in combat. We got to remember that. That's a huge caveat to the way the Mandalorian Season 2 ended. He is technically in position to claim leadership over the people of Mandalore and the planet himself. He did it by the book. He did it by the legend. 
It's his to wield. Who knows what that's going to do with Bo-Katan? Katie gave us some insights that we'll talk about here in a minute. But here, here's kind of what Pedro is saying. When asked, do you say, what do you say about Din or Mando becoming a leader? And here's, here's our buddy Pedro. And now these days after seeing the Nick Cage movie with Pedro in it, that's the only character I see Pedro as, so excuse mm-hmm. me. If he is stepping into a leadership position, he's reluctant to do so. I don't think that there's anything more interesting than a character being forced into discovering what they're capable of and who they are. That part has been really, really fun. Also, from my point of view, there's so many searchable ways to find the tonality of that. I just tried to achieve the the subtleties of that kind of character development. So... Let me parse this out for you people that aren't good with words. He's telling us that Din Djarin is going to be forced into a leadership position, whether he wants it or not, because of destiny. And what Din Djarin is ultimately capable of achieving in his life beyond walking up to deadbeats and saying, you know, cold or hot. You know what I mean? Din Kind of like farm boy Luke, and yes, I am comparing them at this point in time, I think share a similar path in life. You gotta remember, for 19 years, farm boy Luke thought he was just that. Thought he was destined to work on fucking evaporators and get hounded by his uncle Owen for the rest of his life. And maybe if he gets lucky, join the Imperial Academy and fly some TIE Fighters. Luke had no clue what he was going to be forced into, and he was forced into it right he was forced into it after the empire blew up his homestead and he was like well i got nothing here now i guess i'll go with this crazy old coot and and help him find a ride right it was never luke never had in his mind plans to become the savior of the galaxy and i think that is something similar to what we are going to see with dinjarin yeah He, he was this guy doing his thing very capable, some would say almost had uncanny abilities to do his job, and he was very good at what he did. He, he was also very good at working with others and accomplishing amazing things with limited resources and personnel, something Luke also did early on. And like Luke, he is going to be forced into discovering what he is truly capable of, and that's more than likely being the next leader of the Mandalorian people. If not that, being the next closest thing to the first Mando Jedi in Tarvisla. I, I'm not I don't I'm not fully sold on Din being a force user, but he very well could kind of kind of skirt that line. So do you think I'm off base here? I mean, I, him being thrust into leadership, I think that that's a that's a done deal. He he kind of earned that role by winning the dark saber, whether he wanted to or not. But but the the one thing I want your uh, perspective on is being forced into discovering what he's capable of. Is Pedro more or less telling us that Din is is way more special than he has shown us in Mandalorian season one, two, and Book of Boba? Well, I think that like way more special could be taken in different ways. I don't think that he's a force user. If if that's the, like where you were angling at, I think no. that like 
he never looked at himself as like a leader of anything. Like he's yeah. never looked at himself as even the leader of a covert before. Like he looked at himself as like, I do my job. I go home. I do my job. I go home. And now Worker he's in me. a position to where, yeah, like now he's in a position to where like he may legitimately have to lead an entire society of people and not just an entire society of people, an entire society of people who have been uh, essentially hunted and uh, like in eradicated for for years. Um, so I think that's more of what he's focusing on. I don't think there's any specialness about him. Like I, he is who he is and, and he is capable of what he's capable of. But I feel like he doesn't understand his level of capability yet because he's never had to. And now he's put in a position to where he has to figure out what his capabilities are. And he's being forced to not just because of the, like a situation that he's in like Luke where like Luke was like kind of forced into doing it because his parents or his, you know, his uh, aunt and uncle were killed. And the only thing left for him to do was, was to make his own life. Like he's being forced to find out his capabilities because of this station that he's unknowingly taken, you know? Um, and I feel like that's, that is where him and Luke differ. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I probably got a little too close. I'm not saying Din's going to like become a wizard or anything, but like Nick said, he's definitely more capable of doing bigger and better things than Din even himself realizes. And he's slowly learning that through these adventures. I mean, we, you remember we met him as purely a, a, a puck guy Give me a puck, I'll give you a body, I'll get my credits, rinse and repeat. That was it. He was almost like a robot. He really wasn't much better than IG-11. He just, give him a puck, point him in the direction, he'll go finish the job and he'll do it well. Then he developed a bond with another being that kind of changed his priorities. And we saw what he was then capable of doing. He was capable of doing some pretty impressive shit. I mean, by the end of season one, he is more or less taking on with two or three other people, a, a, an empire battalion, you know, Moff Gideon's forces all by himself with a robot, Cara Dune, grief cardboard and, uh, IG 11 and a magical Yoda like baby. Yeah. And then season two, by the end of it, he's not, he, he's enlisted the help of a former Jedi a former ruler of Mandalore, a former ruler of Death Watch, and one of the most ominous bounty hunters in the galaxy in Boba Fett. And, the, you know, so much so that he even crosses paths with the legendary Luke Skywalker. If you ask Din Djarin, you know, season one, episode one, hey, do you think you'll ever run into someone like a Princess Leia or a Luke Skywalker? You'd be like, nah, fuck no, you know, those people, they're, they're out there saving the galaxy, I'm just a regular bounty hunter. And then... Lo and behold, him and Luke Skywalker are essentially now Facebook friends. You know what I mean? Like, you know, hey, Luke, they touched base again on Luke's uh, temple planet and said, hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, yeah, you know. Um, But it it is, it's, I I do think Luke and Din do share some similarities. I mean, they, they are both raised by not their parents, which also we we knew at least from luke's perspective that that was hiding some pretty intense lineage from luke so do you think that because din was a foundling like we may ultimately learn that he may have some lineage that kind of lends him to becoming this hero and this mythical ruler of 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 mandalore 
or, do, or is he purely going to earn this through his skill and uh, soon to be realized capabilities? Yeah, I mean, like, do, do you feel he has any predetermined destiny based on his past that he may not know about just like Luke? Not based on his past, no. Um, I don't think that that he has like this, you know, like Luke had, where we have to protect him because he's gonna be the one that brings balance. Like I don't, I don't know if that's the case with him. Like I, and I hope it's not. Like I, I don't want some sort of like predestined bullshit with him. Like he's a guy who found himself in a situation that he now has to figure out and deal with, and there is no preordination to say that. Oh well. You were the guy who was supposed to do this all along. It would feel cheap if it, if that was the okay. case. Um, I, I I want him to to be a person that has to now grapple with this newfound responsibility that he didn't even know that that he got himself into when he just simply beat up a guy who was carrying a sword. Like right. you know, I, I See, think I'm, I think I, that's a cooler journey than I'm like, with you 100 supposed to do this. Yeah. I'm with you 100%, and, and this kind of goes back into why I feel like they completely failed the character of Rey, because she had the potential to do the same thing from a Force user's perspective. A nobody that becomes a mega somebody through their own efforts and, and, and willpower. That's kind of what you're saying about Din. Like, we want to see him rise to a level of hero on his own accord, not because of who he was related to or whose DNA he has flowing through his system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like they've already established that with him. Like they haven't hinted at you are somebody else. They haven't like given you no, breadcrumbs. No, to you're think right. That, like, I mean, outside somebody. of, yeah. and we've talked about this outside of just the clear, I feel in my, in my mind that the, the armor has a clear, either preference for him or holds Din in a higher light than the other Mandos in her covert. I know the big guy is, is up there with her too, but I think she keeps him around just cause he's the big guy and he yeah. can move her fucking her kiln and her forge and all that <laughs> shit easier than, than she can. But it, from season one, it just seems like when Din is in the room and she is there, it's almost like she knows something about him or expects something more for him or, or greater things for him and it's kind of putting her eggs in his basket even though we don't directly see her you know kind of supporting him from the the forefront more like behind the scenes type of stuff i mean well now especially because she's got nobody else like she like literally her eggs are in one basket <laughs> like and, and she kicked them out that's the other thing she kicked them out and then immediately told him how to get back in you know if someone a lot of times, especially in, you know, religions, if you if you go afoul the religion, you're more or less banned and blackballed. Yeah. There's no, oh, well, I guess you're a Catholic. You can shoot someone in the head, then go do 10 Hail Marys, and in the eyes of God, you're good to go. But maybe that's how it is in, in the Mandalorian culture that, that they subscribe to. As long as you atone, you can commit any heinous sin you want, even though I don't think taking your helmet off is that big of a deal, but hey. Every religion has their their thing. But but also, I don't. I just. It just feels like the point, armorer has has knows something about Din, or just has a feeling about Din that he's the one that we should probably get behind. Yeah, I mean, also if you're a religion and you have one follower and you alienate your one follower, 
you don't have a religion anymore. Well, like technically, that's just what it is. Technically, there's supposed to be other coverts, and she was just leading supposed one. To be. So, it's a, yeah. Supposed to be. That's yeah. what she's been telling this dude his whole life. It's like, oh, there's <laughs> others out there. Have we ever seen them? No. Yeah. Has ha, have has she ever? Have we ever seen her go check in on the other coverts to see how they're doing? No. You know why? Because there aren't any. There she's feeding yeah, she, this she dude this be. bullshit to keep him mind controlled. And now, even in this moment where she's like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a lesson. I'm going to kick you out. Like, like you said, she can only go so far because if he leaves, there's nothing left for her. Her, 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 it's, her it's interesting. fantasy world is over. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you, have, you have a good point. But it seems like in season three, at least through the, the footage I've been able to see or see, we do see a lot of Mandalorians that weren't in her covert because they were all killed. So that means that they are out there. So at least through the the, the leaks and the trailers that people have seen, <laughs> I think we can say that she's probably not a full-on liar. I think she is shady as fuck, like Nick is saying, but <clears throat> go ahead. You got to talk. Yeah. I got I one mean, of those I, throat desks. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was never a fan of... of the oh. armor and her bullshit spewing towards <coughs> towards Din because ultimately it's just held him back in his growth as not only a Mandalorian but as like a human being you know like now over time as as he's distanced himself from this covert and from the armor herself like he's learned things not only about himself but about the world uh, just the world around yeah, him and he's grown and and gotten better from it so I think that any more like if if they choose to like backtrack on that and to into like uh you know increase the significance of the armor in his life again and like start to reassert her her mental dominance over him it's only going to be to his own detriment um well, i think that's where they're headed because i mean she she featured prominently in the celebration trailer i mean she she's seen multiple times around him in encampments with other mandos so i mean really here, here's what we're looking at for season three. <clears throat> we got the Moff Gideon shit. We got to figure out what he's up to and how Giancarlo said, you know, he, he's got a plan that he wants all the other Moffs and leaders of the Empire to kind of fall into. And he's it, it, Giancarlo made it sound like being arrested by the New Republic is right where he wants to be. So we got to see what he's doing there. And, and I do think some of it is going to be tied to what the Mandalorians are also getting into. On the Mando front, though, we, we got a few things to consider. Din's own journey, him and Grogu and, and trying to atone, which is going to boil into the greater Mandalore issue of the armorer and her type of believers, and then Bo-Katan and her type of believers, and how are they going to kind of resolve their differences because they're going to need to, even though there's probably going to be a battle between them, at least early on, they're going to need to figure out, because I think the Empire is, is clearly not done with trying to keep Mandalorians as nomadic people and wiping them out systematically. So it's not like just because Gideon was captured or they took out one covert on Navarro that the Empire's given up hunting Mandalorians. So while the armor crazy Kool-Aid faction and Bo's faction, who is probably feeling a bit jaded at this time, thanks to what happened with the Darksaber, there's going to be a little bit of 
conflict between the two, if not full-out warfare for a little bit, until they're reminded that, why are we doing this again? This is how we let the Empire fucking get one over us on the first place. This is how we let them get a foothold on Mandalore and eventually take it over and then glass the planet because they could not um, rule us. They knew they couldn't rule us, so they just destroyed us. So why are we now back to destroying each other over wearing a fucking helmet or not because in the end that's like the biggest difference one faction believes you can't be seen and you have to adhere to this uh, biblical creed where the other one's like listen we need to survive and band together to get our planet back because when you have mandos working together we can take on anything in anyone in any faction even the fucking jedi we can give them a damn good fight but those wizards are probably going to win in the end, right? They did yeah. win in the end. But the fact that the Jedi even had a prolonged war against Mandalorian tells you all you need to know about Mandalorians. They're, yeah. They are the Spartans of the Star Wars galaxy. So even in small numbers, they can cause great pain and carnage. So I, I really think that's going to be the general gist of, of Season 3. You, you're going to get the, the Mando-centric the Mando factions and the beef they need to figure out. And then what the fuck is the empire up to? So. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I think we may be surprised about the armor in the end. I think Nick, she's either going to surprise you and you're going to be like, Oh shit. That's why she was doing what she was doing. Or it's going to be kind of a, a, a sinister reveal. Like she's been playing a long game all along and, and maybe, you know, she's been doing all this to once and for all take out the Mandalorians now. That would be interesting. You, you know, working with a the, the leader of the cult who ultimately was just trying to subvert the cult. That would be a an interesting take as well. So we'll see. February of 2023 is when we're going to be getting this baby birth to us into the world. I'm definitely excited to get to it because we have not watched proper Mando since uh what i mean end of 2020 was it end of 2020 yeah yep all right david moore's having having himself a conniption here okay we, we um katie sackoff who plays bo katan she also had a bit of a quote here nick it's very cryptic Uh, But when asked about her character and her state of mind following the realization that Din has gained the Darksaber through combat and is essentially the the righteous owner of it, Katie said, anytime you have a goal and you don't succeed, I think you reevaluate. Yeah, I think that's pretty straightforward. And if you've seen the, the teasers from Celebration... She seems a little off her rocker or like she might be hitting the bottle a bit hard and she's in a pretty bad, dark and depressed place, which could lead her to to make some bad choices. Well, yeah. And I'm only, I mean, I'm only saying this because she's literally sitting with Grogu, just the two of them kind of saying like, well, I bet your dad never told you that he wasn't the only Mandalorian left. And it, it was almost sinister in the way she... Uh, yeah was speaking to him. So I have a feeling Bo could do something stupid early on because of this re-evaluation of her goals. Yeah. I mean, you have two options if you're Bo-Katan. Very clear, two options. You either 
uh, fight him and try to win it back. Like, and then you can say yourself that you are the rightful leader of Mandalore. That would be a really bad decision that you're probably leaning to because of seeing that trailer. Uh, or you can support him or you can say like, Hey, you know, maybe this wasn't my, my destiny the whole time. Maybe this wasn't, maybe I wasn't meant to be the leader of Mandalore and maybe my, my job and my, my new goal should be to help the rightful leader of Mandalore bring us back to prominence in the galaxy. I think those are, those are the two angles. Those are her re-evaluation angles. Um, unless one of them is just, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be around anymore. And then she just flies out. That's, that's yeah, her two no. avenues and she'll probably right. take both of them to some degree. Yeah. I, I think she'll do something kind of rash at first, maybe fuck something up, but in the end she'll ultimately figure things out and hopefully her and Din are having babies on her throne by the end of season three. Because who doesn't want to see Pedro and and Katie go at it in their armor, right? Because if it's with Din, he'll keep his helmet on and just clink it against her face as he's trying to kiss her. Hopefully by that point, he'll get past all that dumb shit. But we'll see. (laughs) I I mean, I'm with you, but the fact that he feels the need to go to Mandalore in the first place just so he can get his his creed shit back doesn't lead me to believe he's looking to, to go a helmetless life anytime soon, but you never know. Maybe he'll, like you said, maybe we, you know, the armor finally shows her true self and she's a shithead and he realizes that she's been holding him back all this time and he cuts her fucking head off and, and here we go. And he, he never puts his helmet on again, but I don't know. I think he's still going to be your, your beloved bunker boy for a bit in, in season three, because just the, the, the sad face he had. I mean, you could see Pedro, or it wasn't Pedro. You, you could see this, the stunt guy's face almost when she told him, you're out of the club in the Book of Boba. You could see him going like, oh, <laughs> but, but uh, please let me back in, mommy. Okay, so Mando, long ways off, but it'll be here before you know it. That's just how life, life flows. All right, uh, we've got a couple more things before the fan segment. This one... Uh, not much to run off of outside of just an official confirmation. I mean, Nick and I, we talked about this at the end of last year, then the 2021, that Amandla Stenberg was uh, tied to the Acolyte in a starring role. And now after SDCC and some posts to her social media platforms, it has been confirmed. If you're not familiar with Amandla's work, you're probably... Uh, I think the, the the biggest thing she did is the Hunger Games and played the little girl Rue in it. Yeah, uh, she also was in the Hate You Give, and she's been in some TV series. But she has now been cast in the Acolyte, and what you would have to imagine is the titular role, meaning yeah, she is the Acolyte. If you look at her social media posts that we have up on the stream right now, she's got like this kick-ass Darth Maul, almost like sports uniform outfit on hanging with uh r2 hanging with uh vader there giving kind of giving him a look uh, i believe she's a they so i guess i shouldn't say her but uh yeah and apparently at least based on what she's been telling some people now that this has been made official does she wear hearing aids too or is that just i like, can't tell it's hard. It's, like, it's hard to tell, but it does look like there's something yeah, above their ma- ear. Right. Yeah, yeah I tell you what. That's difficult. I'm, 
she is a there a a very nice looking young person. Um, but apparently, Nick, she is a a diehard Star Wars fan. I know a lot of these people say this when it's it's more or less bullshit, but um, you know, if, if you think about her age, she she's probably born in the in the aughts, right? She's got to be born probably. in the aughts. Probably. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe she got in with the cartoons, which you could definitely see kids getting sucked into more than just even the live action movies at a young 1998. age. 1998. Yeah. OK. So they're so. 23. She's old as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, she's like, oh, I listen to Star Wars podcasts and hopefully it's it's ours. But I, I highly doubt it. But I don't know. She, I, I'm all for it. I, I like. Uh, I think the acolyte could be pretty damn awesome. Okay, because it, it, it's yeah. again going to approach a a point in time that has never been covered. It's the tail end of the High Republic, leading into the Galactic Republic, into uh, the Phantom Menace. Uh, the The idea of it, the fact that we're going to be following someone that may finally be practicing the Sith religion in the open, which you got to remember back in the timeline that this is going to take place. Most people in the galaxy believe the Sith were dead, were completely gone and vanquished. Thanks to Bane and his rule of two and just kind of finally getting the Sith to back the fuck up and take a time out and chill to kind of play, to start the long game that honestly even Bane's long game, I think we have to argue, did not get paid off until Palpatine enacted his own plan. Yeah. Because uh, Palpatine is, was the Sith to truly bring them out of the shadows and conquer their, their, their nemesis, the Jedi. I mean, it, Palpatine, on his own, you got, literally on his own, with a few pawns. Maul was a pawn. Dooku was a pawn. Vader's a fucking pawn because he got half Vader in the end, half Anakin. Palpatine on his own accomplished what the Sith have been trying to do for thousands of fucking years. So the, the, the fact that the Acolyte is going to kind of take a look at those dark side uh, believers, those that kind of were in these cults but remained hidden at that time, I think that's pretty fucking exciting and intriguing. You know, what, what were these, these dark side religious people doing? How did they stay hidden? Was it because the Jedi were already entering their period of being so, uh, having so much hubris that they, they literally couldn't see in front of their faces? And that's what this series should delve into. And I think coming at it from the perspective of this young lady who may or may not have been identified as a force user, but got kind of corrupted by the, this hidden cult of, of Sith worshipers. I don't know. I think that has potential. I mean, it's, it's the most interesting thing to me right now in star Wars because it is new and it's not just, you know, it's giving us a completely new untouched and un uh, spoiled for lack of a better term, like region of time to go to, um, you know, it's always awesome to see, um, you know, stuff play out in the times that we're always familiar with and, and, and get more context. But like how like we can only go so far into that. We're getting towards the end of, uh, you know, the content that we can make within the the original trilogy, like between the original trilogy and the the prequels. So I, I really do hope that this is popular and it gets 
the love that, you know, hopefully it deserves based on the quality of the show, because it's the first time that we've been able to really step away from just known Star Wars for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, th- this is the one thing that I'm really most excited about because it's all new. Nobody I, can I just, I, I throw see- bullshit at it. I want to see the temple at this time. I want to see those Jedi in their golden robes and hanging out and just being kind of the bosses. I mean, they 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 won the Wild West throughout the High Republic era. Thought they vanquished almost all all of evil. I'm assuming in in High Republic they're they're working on wiping out the Nihil and uh, those fucking like plant dark side things that can take over organic species and you know they're having a good time and as you see in a lot of civilizations once a civilization thinks they've achieved everything they can achieve and have become the pinnacle of civilization at that period of time they're quickly reminded that they are not and usually once you hit the top you're about to hit rock bottom I mean, it's happened to every great civilization throughout history, and we could be living through the next one right now. It, it is about time for a, a civilization to to kind of crumble or go through some growing pains, and and sadly, yeah. that could that could be for us living here in the states. As <laughs> crazy as it is, I thought I would at least make it off this rock before that happened, but I don't know. I think we're headed there, so. Yeah, Acolyte, I'm all about. I'm glad this has been made official, which means we might slowly get some more announcements over the next year. I believe this series is going to begin shooting this fall for a a 2023 release. It looks like we got a new one in here. Mighty Max asking, so it's pre-Clone Wars. Welcome to the show, the live stream there, Max. And I'm with Black Series Clips. I think he's got you covered there. It's supposed to be like 80 to 100 years before The Phantom Menace. So really the only uh, Jedi that should be familiar would be Yoda. And then, fuck, I can't believe I forgot his name because he just popped up in Obi-Wan Kenobi. The guy in uh, in the Inquisitor's tomb... Oh. Either either way, he would be alive too at that point in time. Yep. Yep. So. so yeah, no, it's an interesting time period, and I'm I'm happy that we're finally starting to explore something like that. I mean, we'll see as to what happens, and you know, uh, where we go, and who we get to see, and how things uh, develop. But I think that this is the most exciting project in Star Wars right now. And just a little thing, just because we like to have some fun, or at least I do, when it comes to canon, and canon that may kind of shock people. But when I was reading through Star Wars 25 this week, and please, if you, if you want to get recapped on some of the comic books, I, I do the Star Wars run, the Vader run, and I'm doing Han Solo and Chewbacca, and the Obi-Wan run right now. And I typically do one minute or less quick caps and reviews on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. So make sure to check those out. But I did want to briefly talk about Star Wars 25, which had four short stories in it that started at the prequel era, went into the original trilogy, and then on into the the sequel trilogy. But one of the interesting anecdotes that came out was in a little story between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It was kind of similar to the sparring match we saw them have in Obi-Wan Kenobi. So in this one, again, Anakin is like, hey, you know... 
we're fucking Jedi. Why do we only use lightsabers? Why don't we h- harness the power of kyber crystals and blasters and starships and lasers? So even as a Padawan, he's trying to figure out ways to cause mass death. You know what I mean? Like literally, <laughs> Anakin Skywalker as a Padawan is, is asking his master, hey dude, how come Jedi have never used any other weapons but lightsabers? Like we could really fuck shit up. Knowing what we know about the force and, and kyber energy, if we if we made weapons of mass destruction. And Kenobi's like, eh, hold on, motherfucker. Force sucks his lightsaber away and, and has a little talk to him. He's like, listen, I once thought as you did. In fact, when I was a Padawan, I invented a weapon that almost got me chopped in half. And, and you can see it in the panel here if you're on the live stream. <laughs> but Padawan Kenobi invented himself essentially some lightsaber nunchucks and and was trying to use and master lightsaber nunchucks in in a similar thought to what Anakin's like, how how can we be more deadly with these things? And obviously Qui-Gon's like, Hey dickhead, what are you doing? Like, you know, wise up and Kenobi became the much more learned and, and patient man that we know him to be. But the whole moral of the story, again, paralleled what we saw in that flashback. Obi-Wan was essentially saying to Anakin, fuck not. We are Jedis. We are not destroyer of worlds. We are protectors of them. That's why we use lightsabers. And then the follow-up was, uh, in the future, it was a little duel between Sidious and Vader. And it was like a complete opposite interaction. Master was like, hey, f- motherfucker, Sith don't use, we just don't use lightsabers. We use the dark side to torment and dominate our foes as he proceeds to kick the living shit out of Vader and hold his own lightsaber at his throat as he was going to kill him. So that was a nice follow up to how Anakin used to be trained and was tried to, with Obi Wan trying to relate to him wise wisdom. To where he ends up with Sidious, who essentially tries to kill him during their sparring to remind them, A, I could do I can kill you at any minute, and B, you're not a Jedi anymore, so quit fighting like one. Use the dark side in addition to your lightsaber. We use lightsabers just to show the the the, the power of our dark side, essentially. So I thought I thought that was interesting. Obi-Wan Kenobi, at one point in time, used nunchuck lightsabers. Take it to the bank. All right, so that takes us to this week's fan segment. For some reason, I did not have the uh, top five pulled up, but that doesn't matter. I got it right here. We can find it. But we do the fan segment every week, and there, is, there are two avenues to participate for those that want to get involved with the Star Wars Time Show. The first is our question of the week, which we're about to go into. You can get into it by checking out our Instagram account every Tuesday morning in the stories, in the profile, you will find the question of the week. If you choose to respond to it, your comment may be featured on the show. Just be wary. We read them as written, and if they sound goofy, we will probably laugh at them. But it's all in good fun. We're not making fun of you. We're making fun of you. All right. So this week's question is, do you think Andor will better? Well, good for me. So I got, as the rules state, you got to read it as written. Do you think Andor will better than Kenobi and why? Let me go ahead and get it up on the screen and we can start going through some of the responses here. All right. Yeah. 
So, so you think I, I already fucked up some of the English. Um, I'll do we'll the story see. ones, Nick, because I think I know who some of these who people they are. are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of first them has up, no picture, so I, good luck with that one. Yeah. First up is, I'm pretty sure this is South P24, and his reply, no chance, because there's no Obi-Wan in Andor. So clearly South P, big time Kenobi fanboy, and does not think Andor has potential to be better. The no-facer, I believe, is Rogue Ranger Customs. I don't know about better, but I think it'll slap just as hard as Kenobi. So much potential, and if it's anything like Rogue One, it'll be insane. Hope we get to see the true size of the Rebellion and more of the Empire in the height of its rule. I'm with you. I am with you. Uh, Mighty Max, thank you again for the comment. Uh, Dave is not showrunning the Acolyte. That is Leslie Headland. Uh, But you got to figure, since Filoni is the chief creative officer, he has probably sat in on some meetings and has at least looked over what they're going to do and probably offered his sage advice. That's that's what we hope these days, because if you are the the CCO, I I think that's a part of your job responsibilities. Uh, But no, I'm I'm with Rogue Ranger Customs here. That's about that's why I'm excited see the true size of the rebellion and all these cells as well as the empire kind of nearing its peak right before it goes over the ledge and last but not least the crazy collector just says i guess short (laughs) and sweet so there you go so all right nick now for my favorite part when you get to read them yeah two more responses first from cluster flux on instagram says i think slash hope so it's definitely more free to do what it wants, and that can only be a good thing. Kenobi and the characters it used were understandably quite constrained by established continuity. Um, There's an intelligent yeah. answer. We, we usually don't get answers like that here. <laughs> usually like either, right. fuck, or yeah. So yeah. no, I, or, I guess. <laughs> um, that like, is a good point, though, if, if you yeah. think about it. They're really, I mean, outside of... Your your Mon Mothmas and and some of the other established characters, Gilroy yeah. and team have had a a blank canvas, if you will. Yeah. That being said, I do hope that, uh, or I do think that that Kenobi did a good job of of doing way more than we thought with oh, yeah. the continuity oh, yeah. that it was built in. So, I mean, again, I. Uh, I I'm an asshole. I soapbox a lot, but I, I am not against saying when I was wrong, and I was 100% wrong when I initially said Kenobi can never leave Tatooine. He can't be doing stuff with Leia, blah, blah, blah. I was, I was proved wrong. That was the right move. It made complete sense. And the arc that Kenobi ultimately went through, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Um, last one, Toy Talica. This is going to be one where, where there's some grammatical things. He says, maybe... Because there is a bit more freedom on that story. Also, fans maybe does not have that big expectations on the character. Um, so he's saying it's that, that it's probably... It's starting to sound like my kid. Like, I honestly, I get in trouble for this, but, you know, I say what I say. I was like, Charlie, you're, you're, you're starting to sound like someone that was raised in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and before people in Waynesburg get on my case, that's where my wife is from. I, I always kind of dinger a little bit on it it's all in good fun but yeah it's that 
that broken English kind of hillbilly dialect. And that, yeah. that's what it sounded like when Nick was reading here. But that's how my kid talks now. Like, you know, <laughs> she's just going to first grade, doesn't understand tense and stuff. So she'll be like, yo, I, I tried it to do that. And I trust or you betrayed me. I'm like, what the fuck does betrayed mean? And I was like, it's just betray, <laughs> but you don't understand tense yet or this, that, and the other thing. So what can I honestly say to you? But yeah, that was a good one. That almost got me laughing there. I always love when Nick has to... <laughs> <laughs> to Struggle speak in broken English. Yeah. Also, fans maybe does not, <laughs> maybe yes, does was, not know doing I, it. We we get where he was coming from. Fans probably right. don't feel as as much ownership over Andor as they do for uh, Kenobi. So um, they might be a little bit more lenient on it. But uh, yeah. that's the end of the questions. So uh, the final segment of our show is always top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. So if you want to get involved in that, make sure to tag at Star Wars Time Show on your post and use hashtag Star Wars Time Show on your post as well. That'll get it into Matt's field of view. And from Matt's field of view, it makes it into my field of view. And I am the ultimate decider That's right. of the top five. He is, he is so. a god of the top five. I am, <laughs> I'm just the demigod. And really yes. tagging, sadly, because it sucks for me. But it, hashtags have just, they're so unreliable now. I, I Just real quick, the thing on Instagram I want to talk about. Can we get away from everyone posting this post, like make Instagram Instagram again? Like, has a survey ever worked? Has a, has a petition ever changed anything? Does bitching on social media to the social media company ever really do anything? No. Instagram's never going back to a photo platform. It is what it is. Like it or leave it. Can we, let's just stop. And the other thing, you toy people and, and this, like, the, 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 these grandiose reactions to uh, Hasbro using all cardboard now for packaging and you can't see the figure through plastic. Like, come on. Is this, is this really worth, like, getting heartburn over, my friends? You well, know I can't what the see the toy. Looks like from the I fucking can't see pictures. The, well, I mean, th- th- some of them have good points with quality control because there are shitheads at, like, Walmart and Targets that will buy a toy, go home, and shove in, like, a, a, a fucking turd and return it yeah. and if there's no plastic the you know the employee's not going to fucking look because they're making ten dollars an hour and hate their lives but it's i i just dude it's 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 crazy like instagram now especially for the people we follow it's either fuck all you people that use videos on instagram we're unfollowing you you suck reels blow i hate your mom to make instagram instagram again and then i fucking hate uh, all box, all cardboard for figures, and I'm just going. Is anyone else like just looking what's going on outside today in in the lot in like the world? Isn't that isn't that the type of shit maybe we should be focused on? I mean, people like me that buy two hundred fifty dollar toys. Guess what? Mine don't have fucking windows either. Hot toys don't have any goddamn plastic windows on it, and I gladly spend over three hundred dollars on them. So is it that big of a deal? Okay. I don't want to call out anyone in particular, but it's like, my God. Fucking Hasbro! No plastic! Like, Really? Okay, go ahead, Nick. (laughs) All right, all right. So, the top five this week are kicking off with at Imperial underscore troops underscore optics with an amazing 
little, I guess this is, this has to be post order 66 shot here of Wolf. No, this isn't Wolf. This is Rex, right? I can't tell yeah, from it's, the it's, helmets. It's, it's Rex. And I, yeah. I think what he's doing here, Nick, it is, it's, it's like a live action rendition of the, yeah, of the order 66 scene that we saw in the final season of the Clone Wars. You know, the, the some of the most fantastic episodes of that series when Rex finally gets the transmission as he's on board that Republic uh, destroyer. And, and, you know, Ahsoka's if we're looking at this image, Ahsoka's behind him looking out through the Star Destroyer's glass as they're in a hyperspace tunnel. So, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. This is him getting that. Uh, getting that message and the other clones yeah. are some of his buddies, but they technically shouldn't have been there. I think one of them is fives fives was dead at this point in yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, the other one, the one that was on there would have been Jesse, not echo like we're seeing here, but it, it still works. It still works. I mean, the, the shot itself looks very clean and crisp. Obviously the figures do too. Cause these are the super high quality hot toys ones. And uh, I mean, yeah, it just does a great job of capturing that moment in real time. I mean, even the the expression on I mean, I, I know you can't change the expression on the, the figure's faces, but it fits so well as to what Palpatine is probably telling these people right now. Like, hey, man, guess what? It's time to go. It's time to fucking destroy all Jedi. So here, let's do it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shot. It's like, I'm looking at all these, I, I talk about it every week now. I mean, it's just all these fucking dolls I ordered years ago. I mean, I, I'm still getting dolls from like Mando season two and that show feels like it was a decade ago, but I yeah. can't do anything because I got a busted leg and I, I really don't think hanging on my crutches or getting in my chair to try and, and do a toy photo shoot is, would go well, especially for someone like me. Uh, but when you see shots like this from Imperial Troops optics, it's like, man, I just want to look at how pretty they are. Look at how lifelike <laughs> these things are. Yeah. I just want to get out yeah. and do a little snappy snap. I'm, I'm looking at my Empire. I got my Empire Luke hanging out here, my double Bobas, my Clone Wars Ahsoka, Clone Wars Skywalker, Clone Wars Maul, and they're all just sitting on my table wondering where they fucked up in life to end up at a collector's house to where they sit on a table and collect dust. <laughs> they could have went to a better home and have been cherished, put in a glass case with lights, or even had their pictures taken. But no, they ended up here where toys go to die. <laughs> Maybe one day they will, whether it be when you sell them to somebody else or whenever you get the the energy to get back up. And I get need out to, there, man. I, I've got so many figures that I know people want and I know you can't get any more that now is the time to go. I mean, someone just yeah. asked me, hey, I'm looking to spend almost $80 on a figure arts Princess Leia figure. And I'm going, I have her. That's 80 bucks just sitting on my shelf. Well, I should. I mean, all the Black Series, yeah. dude, I mean, I have hundreds of them. Hundreds just laying on top of each other in stacks. If I could just scoop them all up and be like, $2,000, I'm not getting the, you're not getting any fucking boxes. I'll look for the accessories. Here you go. Take them. I think I would do it. it I just, yeah. uh, I want to get just to the, the, the Barbies and then I want to stop looking at how much I've spent on the Barbies. Cause that's always, it, it, it it's rough. Like, yeah. It's rough uh, when you do when you do the math on my sideshow orders over my full time being on sideshow. It's it's not good. Like I just let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. 
All right. So moving on is next up is at homemade galaxy on the IG. This is another little shot where Palpatine is involved, except this time he's the primary focus instead of just staring at the back of his head. And we see another moment where he's probably just walking away from tearing down Vader mentally. Oh, yeah. Look at that just fucking, got this. look at that scowl on his face. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this just beautiful Palpatine <laughs> smile. And in the background, you can almost just feel Vader clenching his fists and gritting his teeth together because he knows, knows there's nothing he can do about it. He knows that Palpatine just called him the, a big baby piece of, car, like piece of crap that, that can't do anything. But you know what? What can Vader do? He can't do anything. Palpatine will pull your arms off and then throw you back outside, just like he did in the comic books. And it's just such a good representation of the of the relationship between Palpatine and Vader, where Palpatine essentially pulls all the strings and there's nothing that Vader can do about it. So. It is. It's just a fantastic summation of Palpatine and Vader's relationship by young Nick. The photo itself, like I, I, I'm thinking Homemade Galaxy got a custom head here and might have painted it because I, I don't think that is the Black Series head. But if it is, my God, what a what a great looking little six inch figure and and the fact that he got his robe to lay down i'm wondering if this is an aftermarket robe that he got because you know hasbro sends these motherfuckers and robes that look like kkk hoods <laughs> you can't get them flat they always get that point on them they never really mold around the face but you are right and when you were talking about palpatine it's just like he truly is one of the most impressive if not the most impressive villain of all time he actually pulled off his his plan you know the plan that most villains end up getting spoiled right at the end because they sit there and talk about their plan for too much to the good guy that didn't happen with palpatine he fucking did it i mean he had an empire running for for 20 or so years that's not too shabby yeah and uh if you also think about the character he went from being a face to an actual character in return of the jedi but really when you first met the Emperor, outside of seeing how subservient Darth Vader was, did you ever look at him and be like, man, that's a scary motherfucker. He's powerful as shit. No. Yeah, no, I mean, no, you didn't. I looked at him as like just, just some old asshole that yeah. for some reason has my man Darth Vader getting down on his knees in front of him. Like, that never really checked with me. But unlike what the prequels did for Vader, where I think they kind of failed telling us how Anakin became Vader... One character I think they nailed in terms of fleshing him out more is Sidious Palpatine. He probably got the best overall character growth in the prequels. Yeah, yeah. 100%. You get to see him go, like, literally go from this, I'm interested in your your growth, little Anakin at the end, like this this almost fresh-faced kind of senator from Naboo to the the most hated person in the galaxy it's just, pretty quick he really did like if you think about it I, the prequels were supposed to be about anakin's story i think george did a much better job telling us about sheev's story ultimately yeah. you saw him as insidious form for the first time and what he was doing behind the shadows but he was he was doing that in conjunction with the you know, kind of the uh, dark ops work he was doing within the existing government. I mean, he he staged the whole getting rid of Valorum. That was all his plan. So he could then yeah. get nominated to Supreme Chancellor. And then from there, the next 
pillar to fall was now I need them to make me an emperor by giving me emergency powers because of a fake war I've started. Just fucking brilliant. But it it just goes hand in hand with this brilliant shot from Homemade Galaxy. Nick nailed it when he first talked about it. It is the epitome of the relationship between Sheev and Lord Vader. It's just perfect. At Homemade Galaxy. Well done. Well done. Next up is a Lego shot here from At Tong Wars, one of our favorites. And this one shows us some... Uh, it looks like clone, I mean, clone era troopers going through Tatooine has to be after having exterminated a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Tuscan Raiders. But in the background, you can see looming probably the, the, the figure of Anakin Skywalker who had helped them go through and kill all of these yeah, shit. I didn't even see people. that little dickhead back there. I, know, I, it, I didn't even like, see it, but. Yeah, so I, I, when you were just like, oh, yeah, you got, I mean, they're, they're obviously 501 clones, okay? So I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, Vader still had a, a hard-on for Sand People, so he, he sent his 501st down there early on in his career as the Dark Lord of the Sith, just to mow more down. But you're right, he, he's in there in, in uh, Lord Vader form, as we'll yes. call him, before he became Darth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It it, it it must be a what if from Tong Wars. Like he, he hey, made a if? he made a pit stop on the way to Mustafar. He's <laughs> yeah, like, I gotta yeah, go exactly. wipe out some more. He's like, all right. I just I got to kill those annoying fucking younglings I've always wanted to be killed. And you know what? Before I go kill the rest of the separatist leaders, let's go murder some more sand people because you know yeah. what? Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're right. No he he whacks a few of them and then he heads off to the lava planet to to finish the job. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, good stuff here. I love the setup. I love the, the environment that Tong Wars was able to stage these guys in. And, um, it really is kind of a, a cool in between the, the temple and Mustafar shot here from Tong Wars. So, uh, excellent, excellent stuff. All right. Next up is yes. an awesome crossover shot. Though <laughs> so again, like I told everybody uh, before we started, the only movie, like I went to go see a movie, it was an older one that's been out for a while, but I saw Jurassic World Dominion. I was a, I was a fan, oh, definitely thought it was better than uh, Fallen Kingdom. Obviously the movie itself still has a little problems, but I love dinosaurs and that's why this one made it in. This is from at Killcutter Photo, who's been on an absolute tear. Killcutter is, is putting out some incredible work. But what we have here is an alternate scene from what we saw in Return of the Jedi when Luke is dropped into the Rancor pit, except this time it's a T-Rex pit. There's no Rancor. Uh, it looks like uh, Jabba the Hutt somehow found a T-Rex mulling about the galaxy, captured it, <laughs> put it under his big-ass throne. Hey, he went and the now... fucking Jurassic World, dude. It's, yeah. all, it's a shared universe. Yeah, shared universe for sure. And and now that's what Luke has to tangle with. So you can see the uh, Gamorrean guard <laughs> all, the, all the way into the, the gullet piggy. of the T-Rex. <laughs> and now we know what happens next. We know that Luke somehow has to find a way to tangle with this big dinosaur I just thought it fits so well in, in world. Like, you know, I thought that uh, if you wouldn't have known that T-Rexes weren't a part of Star Wars lore, th- this fits pretty well together. No, in, you're, in you're right. hundred percent. I mean, j- just like the one Killcutter did with Maul stabbing a, stabbing a T-Rex through its brain, it just works. But this one, yeah. I think Nick is correct. It, it does completely feel like something you could find in Jabba the Hutt's palace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we learned through the book of Boba Fett that that place is way bigger than we thought. It's got hidden passages and nooks and crannies all over the place, knife wielding, grievous droids. And so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it 
the T-Rex does sub in perfectly for the Rancor. And you, you are, you're almost getting a full recreation of that moment. So we are seeing the T-Rex swallowing the top half of the Gamorrean Guard while Luke looks on with his leg bone getting ready to stick it in its mouth. Although I don't think the T-Rex could pick Luke up with his hands. Uh, and, and I was going to ask Nick, T-Rex versus Rancor, who wins? And I, I think the Rancor would absolutely destroy a T-Rex just because it has functioning arms. Yeah, I think that's a huge advantage. Um, I will say that Rancor's... I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I do think that it would just get stomped. It, it's almost like the King Kong versus T-Rex thing. Like, I don't know the size disparity between the two of them if they were next to each other. But, like, King Kong absolutely destroyed a T-Rex because of, like, it's got huge arms that it can use to keep distance and punch it and do all yeah, this other like shit. Opposable so. thumbs are pretty magical <laughs> fucking things when you think about it. And yeah. if you can grab something's jaw and rip its face open, you usually have a leg up. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm kind of glad the way things go in the Jurassic World movie. I won't spoil it. You know, yeah, you, you I, get what I'm talking about when it comes yes, to T-Rexes. Yes. But in this universe, I'm pretty sure a Rancor would just absolutely toy with a T-Rex. Like it, it wouldn't yeah. even be it wouldn't even be a fight. I mean, he, he could block any head thrust with those long ass like orangutan arms. He could jump high enough just to land on it and break its back if he wanted to. And he could, like King Kong rip its fucking face open if it felt like it so that's right uh, yeah plus so. he's got the, the rancor's got some pretty nasty claws too if i remember him he could almost just just stab into him so yeah i'm like yeah. you brother I, I love i love myself some dinosaurs t-rex has always been my favorite and i love that this one from jurassic park has literally made it this far into the canon of jurassic world yeah, but um, I think our buddy the Rancor, Boba's Rancor for sure, would 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 have its lunch and yeah. then eat it for lunch. Definitely agree. So at Kill Cutter Photo on a tear, always a pleasure to see him in the top five. And last but not least, closing out the top five for this week is at Vinfaith underscore Custom, right. and what he's done here is just an absolutely incredible job of of staging. A cool environment while also and these are the baby in. figures. These are the yeah. the three inches, three point seven five. I mean, like to know that too, like just brings this to the next level. So what we see here is uh, our good friend Reva from the Obi Wan Kenobi series and Mister Hello there himself, Obi Wan Kenobi, in a bar fight, for lack of a better term. I mean, they're they're Fuck, in dude, a yak bar. face. Is it that that the bartender? <laughs> that's fucking yak face. Uh, <laughs> the, the character known as Yak Face. That yeah. is him. The, oh my god and just then you like got a so nicto you got a little nicto back nicto there in the back yeah i mean and there's just so much fun stuff happening here like so many different scene building things that Vinfaith did in this shot so you see reva sliding across the bar her double lightsaber fully ignited you got kenobi on the ground like trying to hide behind the bar shooting a gun like shooting a, a laser pistol at uh at reva you got Yak Face, the, the barmaid, just sitting there, like, not knowing what to do. The Nikto is kind of like, oh, my God, what the fuck's going on? Um, shit is knocked over. You can see uh, what looks like some sort of uh, fluid container got knocked over when Reva slid across the bar. I don't know. It's just such it's, a fun dynamic shot. I was going to say, it's, it's just a, a dynamic scene. It's, it's like a, 
a, a cut scene of their chase on Bayou is, is what this is. You know, they, they, instead of running through alleyways, they, they ran their way through a, a bar at one point in time en route to him escaping on that, you know, pilotless cargo ship that uh, Haja had him set up on. But that Riva figure, especially at the three seven five scale, just looks absolutely wonderful. I think these are three seven five. Maybe they're not. Either way, who gives a shit? It's just a, it's a damn good looking toy figure action <laughs> shot. It's not yeah. easy to make these little pieces of plastic, even with all the points of articulation, look like they're moving and they're in the act of action. And that's what Vin Faith underscore Custom has achieved here. But Reva, yeah. I think I'm going to keep that. I, I'm considering canceling a lot of the Black Series I, I pre-ordered just because it's just something I'm going to have to work on, Nick. Uh, it's like I almost have to order them, but then down then the road I can, can I can cancel them, and then, then it's okay in the brain, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely keeping this figure because she looks aces, man. Yeah. For sure. Aces. Sure. They, they so still haven't. I, I know we, we haven't talked about toys a lot on this show because I'm trying to keep things short for Nick, but they, they've only revealed the Purge Trooper from the Kenobi series and an Obi-Wan from the Kenobi series. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to be getting a Vader and you're for fucking damn sure if he's got a battle damage head. That's an instant day one pre-order for me. But I'm I'm wondering if they're gonna do any of the Inquisitors at the at the one six scale. I mean Reva is the is the natural choice but i think she would make an absolutely killer figure especially if they gave her real hair that would be a kick-ass one six scale but good looking one of reva here from vin faith and as nick was about to say i think that's it for the top five right my friend that is that sure the, is it for the top five that's it for the show so matt hold on bring us to our close i can't take us out yet godzilla has arms doesn't he Godzilla has smaller arms, Does, I believe. Yeah, he doesn't have, like, T-Rex yeah, arms, like T- but he definitely has arms, I think. So yeah, Bat, I think... Yeah, he does. That, that's he does why. I, I'm, I, Bat, we got you on that one. Well, I Godzilla guess it depends on, arms. like, how far back you go. Because, like, the original Godzilla had arms, but they were, like, way... Not T-Rex style, because they were attached at a shoulder, kind of like Yeah, because there's just are. some dude in a suit. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but like now he's got like fucking hulky arms. Dude's yeah, got I'm, like... Yeah, I'm pulling up Godzilla vs. Kong. We got it. Like, yeah. Come on. I forgot Millie Bobby was in that. Is Millie Bobby Brown a good actress? Is she really? I can't tell. Uh, I liked her in everything that I've seen her in, but again, it's only been like a few things, Stranger Things. Yeah, man, look at it. He's like he's like fucking Schwarzenegger. I mean, he's got like yeah. HGH arms in Godzilla vs Kong. Yeah, no, he's, he's he got swole <laughs> up. All right, I I just had to check on that because Bat's like, yo, Godzilla and Kong. I'm like, I swear Godzilla has arms. So I just I need to do this for myself. But yeah, okay. Now, Nick, I will take us home. It's time to put episode 223 to bed, and you know how we do that. We try to get a little self-promotion in there. We try to give you the knowledge that you need to impart upon other like-minded individuals, and that is StarWarsTime.net. There's always time for Star Wars Time, and that is our home on the internet and the best way to kind of clue people into the show. We have all sorts of helpful links for new fans and old fans. You can subscribe to the podcast, which is now on Amazon and uh, Podchaser and all the other big ones. Like we've told you a million times, just get signed up. And if you can leave a rating and review, that is better than giving us gold. It's not, but that's what we tell you because we want you to feel 
special. You know, we, we don't want to take your money. We do, but we don't. We are the we are like one of the last remaining Star Wars fan anything that doesn't charge our fans for our content. And I don't know why, but Nick and I have both always been like, at least me, if you ain't big and bad, how the fuck are you able to charge people? That's just, that's how I feel. I know a lot of people disagree, and I'm saying, if you can get your money, get your money. I just, until we have literally a chat that nonstop scrolls while we're talking, I don't feel right charging people. So... That's another selling point for the Star Wars Time Show. It's free, as they used to say on those monster truck commercials. But remember, you don't don't need a script. You don't need diagrams. You don't need PowerPoint slide decks. You just need to tell them, A, there's always time for Star Wars Time, and the best place on the internet for spending time with Star Wars is StarWarsTime.net. It's where we got all of the important stuff, okay? And the last little cherry on top for those new listeners out there, and we love you long timers and anyone that has joined us like Mighty Max today, hopefully you'll come back. Keep them coming. Numbers have really, for us, skyrocketed the past few weeks, which is encouraging. I'm not sure if it's an accounting error in the tracking platform that we <laughs> use or what, or the fact that we're on Amazon and, and some people stumbled upon it, but let's keep it going. That, that makes me happy. Now, before we leave you next week, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to talk with Nick. I'm going to be on the road and potentially not broadcasting. So if Nick is going to do a solo, that's probably what it is going to be. Otherwise, yep. we may take off our... Um, second show of the year um, just to kind of get prepped up and, and ready for the push into Andor. But stay tuned to the socials. Uh, Instagram is probably your best bet for announcement type of stuff, but we'll let you know if there's going to be a show next week or not. I'm, I'm guessing he'll probably do a solo if there's something to talk about. Otherwise, we may not see you for uh, two weeks. But don't worry. Once I'm back from that, I'll be moving into rehab and physical therapy and slowly getting back to normal just in time for 2023. All right, my friends, as we leave you, don't you ever forget this. If you listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with you. Always.